here today to announce the filing of what uh, has the potential to be the largest class action lawsuit in the history of the province of Alberta. Christopher Scott of uh, the Whistle Stop Cafe and Rebecca Ingram uh, of the Gym have filed suit against uh, the government of Alberta uh, seeking damages that they suffered as a result of all of the illegal orders that were issued by uh, Dina Hinshaw on the instructions of Jason Kenney throughout the pandemic. Uh, as people may or may not be aware, um, Rebecca Ingram took forward a case against the Alberta government and against all of the illegal Dina Hinshaw orders that shut down her business. On July 31st of this year, so just uh, you know, literally a month and a half ago, Justice Barbara Romaine of the Alberta Court of King's Bench issued a decision that declared that all of the um, orders that were issued in that case were determined to be ultra vires, the Public Health Act, or in other words, completely illegal. So this has massive implications for the government of Alberta and the province of Alberta uh, from a damages perspective, because any protection that the government might have had under section 66.1 of the Public Health Act that said that, you know, that lawsuits cannot be brought for actions taken under the Public Health Act falls by the wayside because obviously if the orders were ultra vires the Public Health Act were patently unlawful, these were not orders that were issued pursuant to the Public Health Act and has exposed the government of Alberta to massive liability in the billions of dollars to every single business owner in this province who had their businesses shuttered uh, during COVID uh, by bureaucrat bureaucratic decision makers who didn't care for one minute how these people were going to continue to make their, make their living and feed their families from businesses that they spent years building up. One of the things that we would like the people of Alberta to fully internalize with regard to this class action is that this action is brought from the standpoint of fairness and equity. On what planet should anybody expect that businesses and business owners should have their property taken away from them, have their livelihoods and their way of making a living uh, completely impaired by government edict and order for the benefit of society as a whole, without society as a whole compensating them for those losses. It's a basic common law principle that there should be no expropriation without compensation. And further, under the Alberta Bill of Rights, it's absolutely clear that the right to property is a right that is enjoyed by people in the province of Alberta. And clearly, even though we have the Supreme Court of Canada in cases like Authorson saying that this is a process right or a procedural right, and the right is not to be deprived of property without due process, it's clear following the ruling of the Court of King's Bench that these orders were patently illegal or were ultra vires the Public Health Act, that any due process argument or process argument on the part of the government falls by the wayside and the government will have no option other than to settle this suit or be found liable by a civil jury in the city of Calgary in the province of Alberta for damages that uh, accrue uh, to every single business that was shut down throughout the pandemic. Um, with regard to this action, we believe that the Premier has a real opportunity uh, to settle this case in a manner that will benefit and strengthen the economy of Alberta overall. 
we would urge her to have the same people that were working in the finance department to deliberately underfund businesses and who presided over business bankruptcies across this province to put their talents to work figuring out a way to pay the, the pay the settlement of this lawsuit in a manner that has the settlement proceeds deducted from any equalization calculation on a going forward basis so that money that would otherwise leave this province remains in Alberta for the benefit of Albertans and to rebuild and strengthen the Alberta economy going forward. This is only fair and equitable and it's something that, that it's something whose time has come. Clearly the government of Alberta has been directed by referendum in this province to end equalization once and for all. We believe that this action opens the door to the province of Alberta taking steps to reimagine the way that it does its accounting in the same way that Quebec cooks its books every year to remain a have-not province while it continues to have surplus budgets and $5 a day universal daycare in this province at the expense of hard-working Albertans like Chris Scott and Rebecca Ingram whose businesses were destroyed by deep state Alberta government bureaucrats throughout the course of uh, the pandemic. So on a moving forward basis, um, obviously we'll be applying uh, to have this action certified as a class action on behalf of every business in the province of Alberta. Um, everybody needs to internalize the fact that far from being a lawsuit based on unproven allegations of fact, that not one, but two justices of the Court of King's Bench of Alberta, Justice, Justice Dunlop in the CM case, and Justice Romaine in the case of Ingram uh, versus uh, um, uh, Ingram versus Alberta have found the Hinshaw orders to be patently illegal because they were basically passed under a process whereby Dina Hinshaw deferred her medical decision-making power to the Kenny Cocktail Cabinet and members of that cabinet who had no education in public health and have, who had no business making decisions of this nature to shut down every business across the province, uh, you know, every small business in this province for the benefit of big box stores, for the benefit of Walmart, for the benefit of large multinational corporations at the expense of hardworking citizens of Alberta. So on a going forward basis, we're obviously urging uh, the government of Alberta to do the right thing and come to the table sooner rather than later with regard to this action and to look at this action as an opportunity to do the right thing for the citizens of Alberta and to be finally behave in a fair and equitable manner towards all of the business people in this province that had their businesses, lives and livelihoods destroyed by orders of uh, Alberta bureaucrats that the courts have found to be patently unlawful or ultra vires the statutes that they operate under. Um, with that, I will open it up to questions. Thank you. Uh, Jonathan, yes. Yeah, I was hoping to get a comment from uh, Rebecca and Chris. That's okay. Absolutely. Okay. Rebecca, would you like to say something? Or would you like to answer a question? <laughs> or would you prefer that I do it for you? It's up to you. Yeah, I better. Okay. Um, well, what I did want to ask Rebecca was, uh, well, I need you, Chris, is how has, why are you taking this stand now? And why do you feel compelled to take this stand? Well, I think obviously, Jonathan, and we were having that discussion yesterday, the reason for moving forward at this point is the fact that businesses across Alberta were destroyed. Um, people, independent business people in this province uh, have had their lives and livelihoods completely ruined 
by orders that had no business being made in a free and democratic society in the first place. And obviously these people are simply owed compensation and need the government to pay damages to let them get, the, get their lives back on track to where they would have been were it not for people within the Alberta government who had no respect for the lives and property rights of citizens of this province in the face of these patently illegal orders. It needs to be remembered that these orders clearly flew in the face of the statute. Section 30 of the Public Health Act made it clear that the Chief Medical Officer of Health shouldn't shut down a business for more than 24 hours without the intervention of a judge granting an order to, uh, uh, granting an order allowing her to do so. In this case, they actually felt that the CMOH had the jurisdiction to shut down the entire provincial economy without any judicial supervision or without any second thought. And then we raised this in the context of the Ingram case, literally, you know, telling the court, like, you know, because the government's argument was, oh, well, Section 29 says any, you know, action of the government or of the CMOH is permitted in the face of a pandemic. So I said, okay, so any, what does any mean? Does that mean if Dina Hinshaw thought that the cure for COVID might be on the moon, that she could seize every bank account in the province of Alberta so that she could build a rocket ship and go to the moon and look for a cure? That the statute was never intended that way. And what we had going on throughout COVID was the Kenny cabinet not wanting to take responsibility under the Emergencies Act to implement the provincial pandemic, the pandemic response plan the way they should have. So they tried to shuffle it all off to Dina Hinshaw under the Public Health Act so they could point the finger at her. Oh, don't blame us, it's doctor's orders. Dina Hinshaw decided to act effectively as a cocktail waitress going into the cocktail cabinet with a drinks menu and said, okay, well, you know, which, you know, which item would you like from the menu? And then they would pick one and then she would go out and issue it under the context of what's turned out to be a phony public health order that she didn't have jurisdiction to make under the Public Health Act. So we both have, and Dean Hinshaw said, oh, I didn't make these orders, it was the Kenny cabinet, that's what she was saying in court. So we had them pointing at one another like that, with nobody accepting responsibility for the devastation that was wreaked on the citizens of this province, and people like Chris Scott and Rebecca Ingram. And in Chris's case, let's not forget, he, his business was shut down, he was hauled away in handcuffs at gunpoint by RCMP officers carrying sidearms, uh, all for the crime of trying to continue to feed his family in the face of patently illegal um, public health orders that were issued without any bona fide purpose whatsoever. So this is this is what uh, uh, people, are, you know, what we're trying to rectify through this lawsuit. And we know, um, you know, speaking to Albertans and engaging with Albertans across the province, that even the most rabid. CBC propaganda-consuming pro-COVID lockdown supporters believe that it was completely unfair that the burden of society should fall on the shoulders of small business people so that large box stores like Walmart and Costco and others could stay open at the expense of the market share of small business people in Alberta that was completely destroyed through COVID. And that's what this lawsuit seeks to address and seeks to rectify. So thank you for the question. I also just want to add that you say, why is it that you're doing it now? It isn't that we're just doing it now. We actually tried in 2020 to make sure that all of the small businesses remained open. It's only now three years later that the judgment was made, but the damage has now been done to all of these small businesses. And yeah, and to carry on with that, uh, Jonathan, there's a presumption of legality or a presumption of constitutionality 
with regard to orders of this nature. So, you know, in effect, uh, plaintiffs had their hands tied until Justice Romaine issued her decision declaring every single order issued by uh, Dina Hinshaw to be patently unlawful. So, you know, that's the answer to why now. We now have a, uh, we now have a court decision that makes it crystal clear that everything that the government of Alberta did throughout the COVID pandemic was completely illegal. And that's why this seems to be brought at this time. So for me, there's more to it than just the law stuff. Um, you know, I was put in this strange situation where because I decided to stand up for myself, other people saw it and they came and shared their stories with me. And I quickly realized that this wasn't just about my little cafe. This was about hundreds of thousands of people and you know tens of thousands of businesses across this province that were like devastated and they had no voice and they had no remedy and no way to fight back and they were just at the mercy of the administrative state and as I as I thought about that um, and my situation it got even worse because we started hearing about you know business owners in Calgary that are unfortunately no longer with us my situation a little cafe in the middle of nowhere, my overhead was fairly low, I mean, whatever, life goes on, but for some people, life didn't go on. You know, the government came in and said, close your business, or else we're gonna take your business. They lost their income, they still had 15, 20, $30,000 lease payments to make, wound up so far underwater that they saw no other way open to take their own life. And we were and closed multiple times. Meanwhile, multiple if times. you were to go towards Christmas time in any of the malls, um, or in Costas, there was thousands of people, wall-to-wall -wall people everywhere, being able to shop, um, while our small businesses, where we could have done, you know, any kind of measures that we needed to, they were all shut down multiple times, and we had to just deal with the losses. And throughout all this, we, we, we said, we, we, could have, we could see it in front of our own eyes. This obviously isn't about protecting the health and welfare of Albertans, otherwise these other stores would have the same situation. It wasn't. And it wasn't until after all these things happened and all these people were harmed and died that even, you know, the deputy premier stood up and said, this was never about health, this was about control. And the government, they took power that didn't belong to them and they infringed our rights, our constitutional rights, as Canadians, as Albertans, and they need to be held accountable. Right. And that's all there is to it. The government got to pick and choose who would stay open and who would be closed. <laughs> we had absolutely no say. In it. And, and throughout the pandemic, you know, it's just clear that uh, government bureaucrats, you know, throughout AHS, the CMOH's office, and so on, were engaged in completely magical thinking. Uh, you know, taking the position that somehow or other a respiratory virus was going to spread differently in a big box store or a large grocery store owned by wealthy uh, Eastern Canadian families than it would in uh, a business owned a small business owned by uh, you know members of uh, the Alberta public. So we had this situation where the government was literally making decisions on a regular basis in favor of billionaires and multi-billion-dollar uh, corporations at the expense of hard-working Alberta families. And there was literally, within the Alberta Finance Department, and I know this because I cross-examined a number of them and read their affidavits, they deliberately underfunded these businesses. So what we had was Travis Taves and his minions imposing their own messed up form of stress test on Alberta businesses 
where they were literally saying, well, if your business can't survive these lockdowns, it's not much of a business anyway, who cares, right? And that was the general attitude um, that, we, that was exhibited by the government of Alberta and the level of, you know, the standard of care that was taken with regard to people's property, their lives, and their livelihoods. I mean, I was at a, um, a, 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 a speaking engagement in central Alberta in the middle of all this, and there was a gentleman from uh, what's now Russia, but the former Soviet Union, said in a very heavy Russian accent, I came from the Soviet Union to Canada to get away from this kind of stuff. My business has been destroyed, and I now find that the Soviet Union has followed me here. And that's exactly what we were dealing with, is that you know, people's lives and livelihoods were destroyed by people who were behaving like they were members of the Stalinist state, where private property and the property of business owners was something that the state could deal with at its whim without any thought to the basic English common law, the Magna Carta, or their obligations to fully compensate people who are damaged by governments taking property or interfering with the use of people's property. So that's really what this lawsuit is about, that Albertans are drawing the line in the sand. And it's not just about Chris Scott, and it's not just about Rebecca Ingram. There's literally thousands of people that have been contacting our offices that are looking to join this lawsuit and are looking for redress for the literally millions of dollars that they've lost through their businesses through these shutdowns. So that's why we're bringing the action, and this is why it's going forward. And that's why I'm pursuing this avenue rather than a claim of my own because I said right from the beginning that whatever we're going to do we need to do something to help everybody that's been affected and this is the way to do it. And uh, Chris just, and Rebecca I just wanted to follow up on that. Uh, what keeps you fighting? Well for me first of all um, I've got five children. See if that is <laughs> five children and, and they are what keeps me going. I told them um, right from the beginning, even one person can make a difference. And I, and I want my kids to know that. Now there's obviously there's thousands standing up, um, but my family first and foremost. And then I would say Jeff. I, I had actually gone to quite a few lawyers before Jeff to see if somebody would represent me and, and stand up for this case. And nobody took it on. And then I met um, Jeff Rath, and he was the very first person that said, yeah, let's do this, let's, we'll take it on. Um, so he is a big reason, he's a hero to me, as everyone knows. He's a big reason that I keep going. Um, lastly, it's my friends, my family, so many people have lost so much during this. Um, I recall a time I had a phone call at my gym one of my members, he was suicidal. He said he was a recovering drug addict. He said, the only thing that keeps me going is the gym. And that was taken away from him in several times. So uh, there's just so many reasons that we all need to keep fighting for this and, and make them accountable for what they've done. I, I agree, and I mean, I've also got kids. And I want to point out that at any time throughout this, um, well, except now, I could have sold everything, pulled up my route, taken my kids somewhere that was freer and you know enjoyable to be at. We could be in Florida right now, living our lives to the fullest. But what happened with my cafe 
when you become the only place in Alberta where people can go and, and be with other people and obviously have a hamburger, uh, some, something happens. And I'll, I'll just, I'll try and describe it with a story actually from yesterday. And this is after, it's been what, three years since the excitement. Yesterday, uh, I was cooking and I served a fellow a, a Salisbury steak. And he was there by himself, he was a trucker. And I went back to the kitchen. A few minutes later, my girlfriend comes in the kitchen and she's almost crying and she says, you're not gonna believe what just happened. I, uh, like, that guy was, he was, it's like he was tearing up and he said, you know, I'm just really happy to be here. And, uh, and he left and she went outside and said, hey man, are you okay? Do you need something, like, do you need a hug or something? And he, and at this point he's crying and he said, no, I just, I'm so happy that I'm at this place and that there's people like this standing up for us. And, and that's the reason why I kept going. I mean, I could have made my point in a week and shut down and been all safe and not had this stuff happen over the last three years. But the people that came and shared their stories, not only of bad things that have happen, happened, but the hope that they were given just by seeing somebody do something. And not just me, but Rebecca and, and other business owners that did the same thing. Um, that's what's kept me going through this whole thing. And uh, that's, that's what's going to keep me going until we win. Any other questions? No, that was great. Thank you. No, and I'd just like to thank everybody for coming out today. I think that this is a really uh, important day in the history of the province. Again, I think this is one of the, this is, will turn out to be the largest class action uh, lawsuit ever filed in the province of Alberta. And we're really looking forward to the Premier of Alberta and the government of Alberta finally standing up and recognizing uh, Alberta's small businesses and all of the business people in this province that were harmed by thoughtless orders that failed to respect the property rights and the right to livelihood of business people in the province of Alberta. So hopefully our new conservative government will understand that you know conservative principles of fairness, equity, freedom and justice scream out for this case to be settled as soon as possible and for business people who are destroyed uh, by the thoughtless actions of NDP appointed bureaucrats within the government of Alberta to be redressed sooner rather than later. So thank you very much for everybody coming out and thank you for your attention. Thank you, Jeff. That's it, we're done. Well, there you go. Um, Chris and I are going to be on the Jason Levine show at 11 o'clock, which is about 40 minutes. So if, uh, we'll probably be talking about this. We'll be talking about a lot of stuff. We'll be talking about the history and how our friendship formed and what we've been doing. So hopefully you guys can tune in for that. That'll be at 11 o'clock. And uh, Chris has to run back to the Whistle Stop to, to flip some burgers uh, for three. And uh, maybe we'll do a live tonight. Could be a busy day for us. So otherwise, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys later. Good morning, good morning, good morning times two. This is the second stream this morning. How are you guys doing? I just saw you. We hung out with uh, Arthur and we had a good session. You guys got to hear about accountability. You got to hear about what his family's been going through. And I best news, he's suing, suing, suing. This is great, great. I'm very happy to hear that. If you didn't check that out, do check it out after this stream today. But I'm excited. We're, we're seeing accountability starting to happen here in Alberta. And we managed to get Chris and Carrie here today. 
Chris Scott and Carrie Lambert. Now, do remember, I did have them scheduled for the morning. So they were going to do the 6 a.m. They're bright and early guys. They were ready to go. But at the Archer event yesterday, Carrie came over and he goes, look, we got an announcement tomorrow. I'd prefer if we did the show after that announcement. I said, yes, let's do that. And then I had to, you know, go into the scrap pile and go pull out Art Topolowski to be the guest this morning. So it all worked out wonderfully. But I'm excited. I have no idea. I have no idea. I was busy with Archer. So I'm looking forward to see what's going on here with these two gentlemen. But what I do know is, you know, Chris has got a good story. We were talk, trying to talk to him about the Ingram decision and how that helped him through his court battle. I also wanted to hear a lot about what he's gone through. And then Kerry as well. He's been kicking some butt out there. I want to hear what's keeping him going. I saw him at the Bibles and Bulls. It was a wonderful event. They're out there getting the message out. And unfortunately, folks, he's not wearing a shirt today. Ooh, but we'll absolutely see it another time, I'm sure. Uh, but it's one of the best things about Kerry. You can pick him out in a crowd anywhere. There he is. <laughs> he's right there. He's got that Alberta shirt. So he loves his province for sure. But without further ado, because I want to get on to it, because I'm really excited to hear what they're talking about. What is this excitement? And look at this. We already got 16 likes and hearts and shocks. Wow, you guys are amazing. I wonder what it's going to be like when I get on here. Let's find out. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> well, good morning. It doesn't look like you're at Whistle Stop. It doesn't no, look like a background. No, normally we have something really fancy in the background or a chicken or something walking around. But uh, Horses, goats. Yeah, not today. We are at uh, Hotel Arts, as a matter of fact. We are, is that in uh, Calgary? It is it in is, Calgary. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so Chris had to get up extra early and drive down to Calgary, as he usually does. Yeah. And then he's got to go back and flip some burgers at 3. Because mm -hmm. that's what I do. Over. Well, now I'm getting hungry. I didn't have my breakfast yet, so thanks a lot. For I haven't that. either. I'm about no. your burgers. <laughs> but thanks for, uh, for doing this extra special uh, call, I guess, at uh, 11 o'clock, because I know you usually do 6 till 8 and then 4 till 6. That normal, normal, And you're still doing probably a 4 till 6, because that's the type Correct. of Correct. I have Dr. Um, Hutchinson on tonight. Oh, yes. Okay. Roger. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw yeah. him yesterday. And, and to let you know, I'm also... Yeah, he was at the event yesterday. And then I'm doing a stream from 7 to 9. Uh, we're covering the Million Person March. I have about eight uh, organizers wow. from across the country coming on. Basically, I, I, everybody in Alberta is yeah. coming on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good to have like 4.4 million people on your show. <laughs> yeah, well, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> it is wonderful. Wow. I think, oh, that's what's happened here. You guys added us to your Facebook. We page. did add. That's why there's. Yeah. There's I'm looking people. at the numbers going, what happened? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, so we were um, brought into the, uh, the hotel arts this morning for a press conference. And that's basically oh, yeah. why we couldn't do the thing this morning. And uh, it's interesting that you had the conversation with Art saying that he's going to sue, 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 because that's kind of what uh, the plan is here. Do you want to maybe give him up to speak? Not really. <laughs> it's nothing exciting. I thought you could do it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, sure. Yeah, I'm happy yeah. to. Uh, do you want to read stuff? Or, so <clears throat> you might recognize this. Is your connection, is your connection a little choppy? Oh, it, it might be. Is it? Oh, who's suing? Court of King's Bench of Alberta, Calgary. Rebecca Main Ingram. Your decision there. You could probably read it unless you. So you I'll, I'll I'll read it to you. Paraphrase it. And actually, I think our. Okay, I think we're back now. Yeah, you're. Oftentimes, you're just like this. You're frozen too. And not moving. It's good. A good uh, downtown Calgary infrastructure. Oh, 
Oh yeah, I guess we're working. Okay. Okay. Well, let's try this again. Yeah. Yeah, we're so, back. We're back. Yeah, we'll try again. I saw the Ingram decision come up there. Yeah. No, that, that this isn't the Ingram decision. So in in this in this uh, filing that was filed yesterday, September eighteenth, uh, the plaintiffs are uh, Rebecca Ingram and Christopher Scott as the Whistle Stop Cafe, and the defendant is His Majesty the King and Right of Alberta. So Rebecca Ingram and I are lead plaintiffs in a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit brought against the Alberta government for illegally uh, closing businesses. And uh, as we saw in the Ingram decision, um, yes, it was absolutely. found that the CMOH orders were ultra virus, which means they were done outside of the safety net of the Public Health Act. And if anyone, I mean, if I got to explain it further, the health orders were illegal. So the government illegally took authority and power that they had no right to have. They closed businesses, infringed on our rights, our constitutional rights, uh, had me thrown in jail for protesting. And I mean, amongst all sorts of other things. And so now, uh, rather than filing a claim on my own for damages, because there's, there's a lot of things that I could, could yeah. sue for, um, I've instead elected to be the lead plaintiff or co-lead plaintiff in this class action so that every single business in Alberta that was affected by these illegal orders can get some remedy. Yeah. So that's what's happening. I'm so pleased. So it's a class action. So other people can get into it as well. Uh, Is Lathan Gray behind this as well? Who's, who's the lawyers? No, the, this is uh, uh, Jeff Rath with Rath and company. Um, Wow. Yeah. He's the, he's the counsel on this. We just did a, a press conference, and uh, it's just on the Whistle Stop Cafe Facebook page. It'll it's actually on the Chris and Carey show as well, but uh, we'll be posting it on the the website a little bit later. Right now, we're a little busy. As no you problem. Know, Thank <laughs> it's sometimes it's a little difficult to be juggling a bunch of different things, but the idea behind that that Jeff really paraphrased was that it, during during COVID. Businesses were shut down, but there was really no compensation. They basically just said, you know what, we're just shutting you down, end of story, and it's your, it's in your best interest of uh, humanity to shut down and, uh, and, and have it for the cause. And, and to me, that never really sat right anyways. If they had shut mm-hmm. us down and said, you know what, we understand uh, it's, a, it's a health emergency. If, you're, if your business was making 100 grand a month, then we will compensate you in that 100 grand a month for the greater good and everyone being being well but nothing like that happened sure there were people that ended up uh, applying for serb and i know you ended up applying for the well you know what what i did is i thought well this is horrible what's happening to people everyone's losing their jobs Mm -hmm. um the government rolled out a wage subsidy program and i thought well yes yeah you know i can use this wage subsidy program to keep more people employed um try and pivot my business and do things that are different uh, so that people you know they can earn money instead of sitting at home and just getting it handed to them, which it doesn't feel that great. So right. I actually saw it as an opportunity to try and help people. But what I forgot about was that, yeah, even though the government was paying 75% of the wages, I still had to pay 25% mm-hmm. and I still had to pay to operate the business. Yeah. So in the end, you know, it was, a, it was a very, very expensive endeavor to try and keep people employed. So a lot of these things that the government tried to give us, like these little crumbs, these little pittances they gave us to, to mm-hmm. get us through this. Um, well, they were really no more than that. It was just a, it was a, well, a crumb. A stipend, I think. Yeah, a, a crumb. Stipend. yeah. And, it, and it didn't, yeah. it didn't address the issues. Like for instance, my business, 
not a huge amount of overhead. I mean, significant, but not anything like Calgary. Carrie and, and our friend Marla had a business there. What was your lease on that place? It was $15,000 a month. And there was no compensation yeah. for Which that. Which sounds like it, it is a, it's a good chunk of change, especially when you're selling 425 beers and 25 cent wings. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. don't get rich too quick off of that, but it really was about volume. And, uh, and you, you joked about me not wearing my Alberta shirt that I'm kind of known to be wearing. And the reason I'm yeah. wearing the Outlaw shirt is that's the name of the, uh, the restaurant that, uh, that Marla and I had, Outlaw's Tap House and Bar in uh, Southeast Calgary. And, uh, and, and obviously, Chris is wearing a whistle stop proudly. He's a rebel. A rebel with a cause. <laughs> Showing that off. And, uh, and it didn't make sense to be wearing an Alberta shirt if uh, essentially we're suing the Alberta government. <laughs> So, which, which brings up some interesting points. The reason I chose to wear my Rebel with a Cause uh, hooded sweatshirt rather than a uh, blazer and a, and a collared shirt, which I probably should have worn for something like this, is because the other aspect of this is that because I stood up for myself and I actually tried to get to the bottom of what was going on and, uh, you know, I talked to people about whether or not this was the right thing to do for the province. And I'm talking doctors and scientists and politicians mm-hmm. and this and that. I traveled all across the western part of the country doing this um the premier at the time jason kenny called me a rebel and a scofflaw and he told Uh, alberta (laughs) that if only people like me would just comply that they would get the rights back like he turned me into public enemy number one well he tried to they tried to yeah because you know for a time when uh when when everybody thought that i agreed with every single thing that they agreed with um most people were on on my side i mean that's changed to some degree now but that's why I wore uh, this this sweater. And here's another interesting thing about this lawsuit. Um, through the course of this, there's been thousands, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, probably millions across the globe that have supported. Yeah. And there has been this small fringe minority of people who have been very unsupportive to the tune of wishing me dead or hoping my kids get COVID and die. Horrible things like that. A lot of those people own businesses, they have restaurants, they went through the same things that I do, I did, and that other businesses did. This claim is for them too. So for all those business owners that told me, you know, I'm killing everybody and why don't I just comply and how dare I, um, they deserve a remedy too, whether or not we share the same politics. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the beautiful thing about this. This is for everybody. This is for restaurant owners, gym owners, pastors. This is for... Um, even people in our government who have businesses, you know, the premier Mm -hmm. has a restaurant in high river that was was subject coincidentally was also called the whistle stop diner. (laughs) Oh, wow. The diner, not the cafe. Cute. Her business was subject to this. Yeah. She's a plaintiff. There's cabinet ministers who have business businesses that were affected. They are plaintiffs. Like our government right now, our, our opposition government, are business owners that are plaintiffs in this that deserve a remedy from the government regardless of their politics mm-hmm. that's the beauty of this yeah. right what's also beautiful from my perspective is this is karma so was there not a decision during your matter where all of alberta got included because of the decision by that one judge yeah remember that part it's uh associate chief justice rook he mm-hmm. uh, it was called the rook order and if you do a quick search i'm sure you could bring it up if you want the order said that um, me, the Whistle Stop Cafe, the previous Whistle Stop Cafe that had nothing to do with this, yeah. uh, Glenn Carrot, and one other name responded. I can't remember who it was. 
uh, were prohibited by court order from attending, organizing, promoting, or inciting illegal gatherings. And it, it also said John and Jane Doe in Alberta. Right. So that meant that 4.5 million people in Alberta yeah. were subject to uh, a judicial order from the court of Kings of Queens bench at the time that, that prohibited them from gathering in peaceful assembly or protesting for political purposes, 4.5 million people. Now I went to jail because I held a protest anyway, because I'm a Canadian and gosh, dang it. If I want to protest, I'll protest, but I went to jail for that. The, the interesting thing about that is that order said that I wasn't allowed to attend an illegal gathering. Sure. Those CMO, CMOH orders were illegal. That gathering was not illegal. And yet I was jailed. And yet an associate chief justice of the bench of, of the court of Kings bench of Alberta, a senior justice didn't bother to determine the legality of the orders in the first place before he condemned 4.5 million Albertans to have their rights removed from them. Mm-hmm. That's right. the scope of what happened in the last four years. And one of the things that Jeff did say during the press conference, just so you know, is uh, how much are we suing for? Well, it's it's a big number. It's $12 billion with a B. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. And yeah, uh, round it up to 12. It sounds good. Yeah. Being a class action, you divide it up amongst how many people have put in uh, as being uh, plaintiffs. But I think the important thing to note is that that money is not necessarily money that is just going to come out of the taxpayers' coffers. The idea with that is that that is money that we're going to withhold on transfer payments back to the federal government. Well, that's what we'd like to see. Yes. Yeah. Sure. So what we'd like to see that's is a, that's that the a stretch. You know that, right? Well, not so much as you might think. Okay. So the way the equalization formula works, Mm -hmm. um, there are expenses that a province can incur that deduct from the equalization payments. Now, our finance department in this province, they are very smart people. You know, the finance minister, good at their job with finance. Maybe I don't agree with all their politics, but if they sharpen their pencils and they put that bureaucracy to work for the people of Mm -hmm. Alberta, Mm -hmm. they could easily... I shouldn't say easily. They could plausibly make this work so that that's just money that stays in Alberta instead of leaving and going to the federal government. Now, you might remember that a few years ago, Jason Kenney held a referendum in this province. It was all smoke and mirrors, but he held a referendum on equalization. And the question was, are you happy with the current equalization structure within Canada? And 67 or something something percent of Albertans said, no, we're not happy with this. So this actually gives the government... Uh, an avenue to to act on the mandate that they were already given by the people of Alberta, enrich the lives of the people of Alberta, and keep $12 billion of our money in this province to be used for our purposes. Can you imagine what we we as a province could do with an extra $12 billion this year? We could build a bridge or buy one. (laughs) That's incredible. I like this strategy. How did you come up with that? Did you guys look into how the transfer payments work? How did you guys come up with well, that knowledge? That would be a question for, for Jeff Rath. I mean, this is, I understand what he's getting at, but the intricacies of it and how he came up with that. Um, genius. Genius, yeah. yeah. But then genius. again, I mean, Jeff is a, he's a senior litigant in Alberta. He's been before the Supreme Court multiple times. He's won um, lawsuits that had uh, implications of billions of dollars um, that enriched the lives of indigenous people in this province. Yeah. So he's no stranger to uh, thinking um, 
you know, outside the box and trying to figure out ways to help people while getting them uh, help everyone while getting people the remedy that they deserve. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I like that a lot. Now, is it closed right now? Or are you still taking plaintiffs? I've seen some people in the chat We're asking that. Taking plaintiffs. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, does it say in the press release how to, how to get involved? Uh, uh, you could contact uh, Rath and company. Well, you know what? We'll end up, uh, doing our own little share links with me too i'll put it in the description and stuff exactly. like that exactly yeah and he we'll told work. me the email i can't i can't remember yeah so the Just, quick answer is yes there's an opportunity for people to still oh, get in there it's, it's covid litigation at rathandcompany.com yeah. covid litigation at rathandcompany.com okay we're going to try and get that into the the chat and we'll make sure yeah. that people know that yeah. but the quick yeah. answer is yes there's still yes. room to get on that yes oh, of course and the way he explained it is um when you when you file a class action lawsuit Anybody that's within the class that's affected is assumed to be part of the lawsuit unless they opt out. Yeah. So any cabinet minister with a business that was harmed by the lockdowns is automatically in this lawsuit. The premier okay. by default uh, is automatically in this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure that she would probably have to opt out because I, you know, I yeah, don't I think, think she can recuse herself of the duty of the premier of, uh, of handling. Although this maybe, thing. maybe her husband could. Maybe your husband. Who knows? Anyway, those are those are questions that are beyond uh, my my scope. My my thing is, uh, I can tell you what happened. I can tell you why I'm doing this, and I can tell you what I hope the outcome can be. But when it gets to the intricate legal details, uh, I'm at a loss. Not a problem. So if I ask a question, you can't. Of course, just go ahead and say I don't have that answer. No, the I'll make would... up. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not that type of guy, but. Um, okay, good. We got the link. So we'll put that into the uh, chat. Now, normally you have to be certified as a class action. So you have to go in front of a judge and explain why a class exists and say to him, here's why we are going to represent this class because That's then right. people can really do these all over the place. So I'm mm -hmm. assuming you just filed yesterday. Has it been challenged at all for the class that you're representing? No. And of course, uh, I'm expecting it would be challenged. Uh, it's of course. It, it huge implications for the yeah. government of Alberta. So I did ask that question today and uh, certification on something like this generally takes like three to six months or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. this, of course, this is the first step. You know, this is <laughs> this is the, well, this the, is the ballsy step. step. You've done the big ball step now. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. exciting. So we have a few months to get this certified. That will be the first thing they try and do. They'll say, you don't represent this class. You don't have any standing. They don't have any standing. That will be the argument. But I'm sure your litigation team is, is prepared for that. They would be expecting that mm -hmm. if you're doing class action. So that's very exciting. They have 20 days or do they have more days to uh, respond? Uh, how much time do they have no to respond idea. to this? Yeah, that idea. yeah, typically it's 20, but a class action may have some separate rules because it's a lot bigger. And especially with a 12 billion number there. Now, I don't think that number is crazy at all, by the way. Um, it actually sounds a little bit low. How did yeah. you come up with that math? Uh, okay, so you're right. It says in the notice to defendants, 20 days if you're served in Alberta. Yeah, okay. So, so it, seem, it's, it appears as you're right on that. Uh, I didn't come up with the number. I mean, I, I had a number that I was considering for myself for a claim on my own. Um, this number... 12 billion coincidentally is the surplus that this province will see this year. That's right. And I think that's probably the justification because it's just an easy number to say. Right? And it's not, it's one of the, one of the big things is I foresaw people and I'm sure Jeff did too, screaming and banging their fists on the desk saying, how dare you ask the taxpayers to pay for this? 
And my, my, my curt response would have been, well, the taxpayer paid for the mess that they created in the first place. Yeah, and that's, that's kind true. of how it works. I mean, if we don't stand up and stop these things, then we're going to pay, right? And already you look at what we're on the hook for, for, the, for this fiasco, and it's, uh, the number is pretty big what we're on the hook for already. This mm-hmm. is different. This is a, this is a, a surplus uh, that this province will see. And it's money that may very well just leave the province and never be seen again due to equalization. Yeah. So this is different than just asking the taxpayer to shoulder a burden. This is saying, hey, there should be some remedy for people that were affected by this, for sure. Um, and coincidentally, we have an avenue where we can do that and not actually have the burden placed on the taxpayer. The burden more so would be placed on the federal government who would not receive uh, as big of a transfer, transfer payment and then turn around and use it to vilify Alberta in in the in the long run, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and even if there wasn't yeah. a transfer payment portion to this, and it wasn't a twelve billion number, I get that all the time because I'm I'm calling for accountability. I want people once the court has released them to go and be suing and going after the people that put them there. So I want that accountability. And then that question comes up all the time. Well, you're just making taxpayers pay. I'd like to remind people that the purpose of a public purse is for public good what better good is there going to be than to correct a rogue government who actually had economic social mental and physical damages to their own people if that's not what the public purse is for then i don't know what it's for Mm -hmm. Uh, i think this is exactly what we need to be doing and as a taxpayer i'm happy that some of my tax dollars are going to go to recovery and rebuilding the damage that my own government did so yeah. I absolutely uh, support this, and I don't yeah. mind. And it's not just the, the large. damage. Yeah, it's not. It's not just the damage in terms of uh, you know a business failed or or that. There were lives that were lost too. We have yes. uh, friends who uh, committed suicide because they they just didn't see another way out. We know business owners that also did the same thing because they, you know, when you when you have a, a twenty or thirty thousand dollar lease payment each month and uh, you're not getting any help. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to ask for help, and I wish they did, but they didn't, and they are no longer with us. And yes. uh, we all know yes. stories like that. And, uh, you know, friends, I had a friend that was a pilot, and it's the same sort of thing. And this was, he was working in Dubai, and he lost his job and came back to Cal- or came back to Winnipeg, you know, where I grew up, and, um, and basically just said that he couldn't handle this anymore. And uh, so one day that was, that was the end. So, you know, and this is another thing too, that uh, we've talked about even on our, our own show that this, the only reason this is happening in Alberta is because of lawyers like uh, Leighton Gray and uh, Jeff Rath, who put the, our CMOH at the time, Dina Hinshaw on the stand and were able to figure out that she wasn't the one making the calls. She was right. giving right. advice to the, uh, the the government and then the government was going ahead and actually, you know, doing it and uh, which was illegal. So mm-hmm. the sad part is, is that is in Alberta, but what's happened, what's happening in BC and Saskatchewan and like any of the other provinces, because there, we all have stories that are like this, uh, uh, businesses were shut down. Um, even when we drove out on the on the convoy and uh, we had to kind of pick and choose spots in order to go and grab a burger at the time because you had to be vaccinated to go into a restaurant. Sometimes you could actually go in and do uh, takeout. And actually we did that, uh, although we didn't go through a drive-through in the picker truck because 
that would have been a little difficult to take mm -hmm. and expensive. <laughs> but uh, but just running into a, a restaurant in order to grab a sandwich uh, was was fairly easy. Um, but there were so many businesses that just that they just said no, we couldn't go in. And businesses that did st stand up, I know uh, we went into Monstrosity Burger in Winnipeg. Shout out Who to is them. no longer around. no longer in business? No longer in business. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they started out as being a <clears throat> Greek restaurant, and during COVID, they uh, the the cost of food and labor, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, were so much that they said, you know what, we're going to just do a sideline of burgers, uh, very similar to what uh, Chris does. These monster burgers. They're small. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 80 pounds of beef on a, a bunch of different buns and, cool. and, and you know drool drool um but they did that and uh and they had a few people in in manitoba stand up for them and then that was it they uh, they eventually got pushed out so there's a lot of, a lot of that stuff that uh, i wish they could come into some sort of a class action and maybe they will maybe if they see alberta doing that they'll okay. say, so my connection what? on my side just just went wonky there but i got oh. most of that uh, okay Are we good, Dale? Okay, I think we're back now. Um, I didn't know that you were in uh, Winnipeg, Kerry. I, I grew I'm... up in Winnipeg as well. What? Yeah, uh, yeah. And way, reason. Oh, I'm going to see if there's connection. Okay, it looks yeah. like we're getting there. I think we're okay. good now. CSIS yeah. is really on the ball today. This might be Alberta CSIS doing this today. It might be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it's my end though. But if you if you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, sorry, it's gonna stabilize. There we go. It looks like we're good now. Okay. All right, Ceases. Go have a go have a hamburger, Ceases. Go take care. <laughs> of it. Um, That's gonna happen. This won't be precedence for across Canada. No. No, and that's and that is a shame because, uh, like like I said. Well, hold on a second. Yeah. If another province proves in court that their CMOH deferred their decision making uh, process to the to the government, which is possible. then it would be. But I don't think now any CMOH is going to admit that on the on the stand. I'm sure. Yeah, they correct. Would probably hide that. Because yeah. <clears throat> I think even uh, Bonnie Henry in BC said something, or maybe it was the Ontario um, CMOH basically said. Uh, you probably saw the uh, the press conference at one point saying, um, "I, you know, I'm not even sure what uh, uh, what to say because I only do what I'm told." Or, something to that effect and she was basically holding the right. announcement that she had to make and so it's like well wait a minute if you're the cmoh you're the one that's supposed to be making those calls now that's a double-edged sword for us going further right because mm. if there is another pandemic called out now and and maybe chris can even talk a little bit more about the uh, before that oh, okay I, I do have to i do have to make a little bit of a correction okay so okay i i, I want to really stress that this was just filed yesterday yes yeah you're so right. for those people for those of you out there watching there is a whole slew of legal dancing that has to be done before anything goes really further yeah so you know when when we talk about um potential amounts and stuff like that this is all numbers out of out of thin air. This is stuff that gets mm -hmm. determined by a court. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I I guess maybe I don't want to put the cart before the horse, and I want to make sure that people know that uh, that's uh, you know these are all just guesses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The first two challenges that you're going to have is certification, whether or not you can represent that class, and then yeah. your monetary uh, damages. You're going to have to justify it in some way. So, right. if you're able to justify a 4.5 million person class, 10,000 a person. 
that's 4.5 billion right there. So I don't think it's going to be difficult for you to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think um, that's 45 billion. Is it 45 at 10,000 by 4.5? Yeah. yeah. yeah not 45. So that's why I thought it may be low because maybe you're only asking yeah, five yeah. or so thousand. Yeah. yeah. And well, really, I mean, it does kind of affect everybody. Everyone's got a story behind this, right? So even if you're a, uh, a worker at home, maybe it affected you that you needed to be working from home. And uh, like, like, again, I'm not quite a, sure on the intricacies of the of the the action itself but if you're working at home and you uh you couldn't go into work couldn't drive uh you needed to i should have do, tried working from home you sh- yeah you could have flipped burgers at home oh i don't know goodness. why you and and basically maybe you needed to do renovations to your house maybe you needed a a separate room in order to do your meetings in order for, like there's so many things that could probably fall under that umbrella and, and uh, right. hopefully that stuff will be sh- shaken out in a little bit. The there, point is that yeah. something's being done. You yes. know, I, yes. um, I've i been accused of late as, you know, not wanting to hold people accountable for what's happened. But my my actions and my response to what has happened around me have been much more tempered than some. And the reason for that is because while I watch this unfold and we hear these terrible stories of devastating impacts to humanity, I also realize that things don't change overnight and there's a lot of work to do. And, you know, there's a big group of people on the other side of this conversation that don't see it. So, you know, while I want, I want accountability, I want remedy for people that have been harmed on both sides. Um, I, I understand that we have to focus our time and our efforts on solutions that are both plausible and probable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that and stay focused on those types of solutions, we run the risk of failing everybody that's depending on a remedy. So that's, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be part of this for that reason. And I, yeah. I there's, there's a thousand and one different directions we could take in this conversation, but I do want to point out that this is not the first foray into a class action that uh, Chris and I are, are, have gotten into. The oh, yeah. first one is actually through Leighton Gray, and it's uh, against Pfizer for vaccine injuries. And it was uh, pushed through, uh, or a part of it, I guess, funded by a, uh, our society called WSFullSteamAhead.org. And uh, and basically, we had a, uh, a, a generous benefactor give some money um, to our association, basically saying, "I want this to go towards something that is uh, is going to do some good." And one of the things that was on our table was uh, vaccine injuries. So we approached Layton, and Layton was working on that class action. So we are part of that as well. So. Um, to what extent uh, is going like any class action lawsuit it's it could slow take, it could take a long time right yeah. so, especially with a company like Pfizer, it's gonna be very slow that's right yeah and so again that's through Leighton gray at Greywalk spencer and um again another link that we'll probably send to you there's going to be a lot of links i think we sent to you <laughs> absolutely we'll break the internet with all the links that people need to have <laughs> That's right, I can yeah. see why Leighton is not part of this one too, because he's going to yeah. be quite focused on that as well. Yeah. You yeah. just went and got like the two powerhouses in Alberta. So yes, I, I know. Would... Isn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm Pfizer, I'm a little worried. And if I'm the Alberta government, I'm very worried. Yeah. Uh, good job on that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Now, 
just so you know, this whole damages thing and how it gets dished out later is absolutely going to be a conversation later. Uh, but it typically typically isn't to take the number of people, divide by the amount, and that's what everybody gets. Because you have people who lost lives, and you have people who lost tips, and then everything yeah. in between. That's so right. there will be a process once this is all done. Yeah. Usually it takes a few years, but congratulations. Um, even if you find yourself unsuccessful, congratulations, because you're letting the government know we've had it. We're, we're not yeah. taking this anymore. Yeah. And we're uh, watching we'll we're, we're willing to play. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I, I that will make them decide next time to think a little bit harder. 12 billion yeah. reasons to think harder next time. That's right. Yeah. I forgot something. I always do this. I always forget to thank the people that made these things possible. That is true. Yeah. So I don't know if you know well, this. Hinshaw. Thank you to Hinshaw. Well, no, actually, you know what? Believe it or not, the thanks goes to our friends within the NDP. It's true. Uh, and the Alberta Federation of Labor and the AFL president, Mr. Gil McGowan. Because oh, yeah. what the AFL and Gil McGowan did well, is they actually sued the CMOH in order to put masks back on children. So the CMOH took masks off kids in school. Oh, he's frozen. Or he's very, very still. <laughs> he might be still. Let us know when you're back. There you are. There you go. I'm here. Yeah, keep going. Okay. Yeah. okay. So um, they sued the CMOH and basically said, well, your health order wasn't legal because you deferred to the government for this decision. So right. you can't take masks off children. Mm -hmm. And Justice Dunlop said, well, okay, if you want me to declare that all of these orders are that order was illegal, then okay, it's done. It was illegal, but so were the rest of them. So, you know, a huge heartfelt thank you to our, our comrades in the, the NDP and the Alberta Federation of Labor and the President Gil McGowan for making this possible. They literally made this possible for Alberta. Yeah. Without realizing that that's what they did. Yeah. All because yeah. they wanted to mask our children. And that's what I also call karma as well, because that's exactly what this ends up being. They don't realize that the impact that, or the door that they cracked open and then Leighton and the rest of you guys just kicked it open. And now you're going in there and taking the TVs and making sure everybody gets what they need. Um, that's wonderful. I love this. I'm pretty excited. Like, we could do yeah, that. yeah. Two great days. So we had Arthur's uh, uh, sentencing. Wasn't quite justice, but we can get into that. Uh, and then we have this happening too, plus the Ingram decision, plus the Kerry Sakamoto. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, the Pfizer one that you're working with, Leighton, uh, I'll probably get him on again in the near future. We'll talk more into detail yeah. about that yeah. one. Uh, but how are you planning to get past, or what's the talk around getting past the immunity the government gave them? Odd word to be using I've, in I've this context, that, but. I've asked that question a few times, and what it comes down to, as far as I I know, is that that only that only holds water if it's if there wasn't um, fraud, mm -hmm. and there Correct. was fraud. It has to be legal. I mean, this, this was this whole thing was fraudulent. They made claims that they couldn't back up because the claims were false. Mm -hmm. um, the government acted on information that was patently debunked. So right from the very beginning of all this, it was not done in good faith. Our government purchased billions of dollars of this vaccine before it was ever approved for emergency authorization use in this country. Now, if that's not a giant red flag, I mean, and if, if that doesn't tell people in this country that there was a conflict of interest right from the very beginning, I don't know what would. I mean, the government's on the hook for billions of dollars. And if they don't push this through, then they look like idiots because yeah. they bought all this drug they can't use. Well, I think they mm -hmm. did buy some and, and let it 
go to waste. They did. We yeah. uh, it was it they was twelve it million doses yeah. or something like yeah. that. Our our prime minister has investments in the company that manufactures the the uh, lipid nanoparticles mm-hmm. that contain the mRNA messaging. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, it, it's and that's why uh, it's I, th- I think it's Layton's opinion mm-hmm. that that clause um, indemnifying them from from this type of thing the action may not hold water. And regardless of, of a, if it will or not, right. somebody needs to try because there's yeah. people being harmed. There's yeah. people that have died. Yeah. I mean, Carrie and I, w- we became very, very aware of this over the last three years because people literally email us and run up to us in a picker truck and, and share their stories of devastating loss at the hands of a government that implemented this medical intervention. It, mm-hmm. it, it harmed people. It's blatantly obvious and something has to be done. And, you know, people like Leighton that are taking on this monumental task of fighting Pfizer, like that's a big deal. They made $140 billion or something through this. They have billions of dollars set aside to, to settle class action lawsuits because they know that their drugs harmed people. But it's still a big job. Yeah, hundred percent. So it would be the clean hands doctrine, which would apply here, which means the court does not protect anybody who doesn't have the clean hands. For example, a drug dealer can't go sue somebody who didn't pay for him because a drug dealer doesn't have clean hands and the court doesn't assist in that way. Even though the drug dealer may have actually had in a contract and everything with this other person, the simple fact that you don't have clean hands means a court doesn't assist you. So this could be how you vitiate the immunity for Pfizer. Because it has to be done in goodwill and it has to be done for the public good. And I think if you show that it's not either one of those, goodwill or public good, it can't hold. So that might be the way uh, Leighton's taking a look at this. Yeah, yeah. So that's quite exciting. Okay, so now this really was an interview to learn about you guys. This is a huge piece of that. And I'm sure you're super excited, but who are you? Because <laughs> we can start that. I know that a lot of people that you have oh, on your show know exactly who you are. But let's start with Chris Scott. Like, yeah, good. But you have to start with me because Carrie doesn't need to talk at all. What <laughs> okay. happened was I actually purchased Carrie from a vending machine back in 2021. It's a true story. Yeah. I, I came he came with a shirt, I, right? He came I with came the shirt. one of those little capsules. Yeah, with the chocolate then, on then, the outside. And you they know? added water, and then I went. Yeah, there that's you go. where Carrie came that's, from. Yeah, and that's yeah. pretty much end of, end of story. Say boom, sounds very good. And then you have hamburgers, and you do a bunch of hamburgers. Yeah, at the that's, that's pretty gotcha. much what we do. Yes, yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, how do you guys know each other? How did you guys meet? Yeah, I, outlaws. Uh, yeah, through outlaws. So Chris will get into a little bit of the story, and and obviously he his is his is a big national story. Ours is, seems to be more of a, a very local, regionalized story. Only but because they so on, fast. Yeah, it, it was very quick. So. Um, uh, my uh, bestie friend Marla, who's probably watching this and tearing up as uh, as we're going to tell the story, she does that. Yeah, she always does that. Uh, we uh, we started Outlaws, um, and it was it was it was kind of right from the get go. We had some troubles. Uh, so Marla got the space. I'm going to say it was like July of 2019, and uh, we were hoping to get uh, hoping to open like in November. Which would be which would have been great had we opened in 2019, and I'll get to that in a bit why. Uh, but we couldn't get our our licensing for our well our liquor permit uh, through AGLC. There was a, a big long set of red tape to go through, and normally 
places will get it done in about uh, six weeks or so. Ours was like six months. So we finally got it on February 28th of, uh, of 2020. Uh, and uh, February 2020, uh, February 28th of 2020, and we were shut down May 17th or March 17th of uh, 2020. So we were open 19 days. Uh, as actual outlaws, we were ready to go probably by the first week of January, uh, and we were just waiting and waiting. It's difficult to open a bar if you don't have a liquor license, because then it's just a restaurant. And yeah, I tried that; it didn't last. Long. It, no, it didn't last long. And um, so we basically, you know, opened it up, and then it was shut down, and opened and up, shut and open, shut. And in the meantime, um, I was a well, still am an owner of a jukebox and arcade games company. So we do jukeboxes and uh, video games and big buck hunter, uh, pool tables, all that sort of stuff. And so I was brought in really just to do a jukebox, and uh, which is funny, and uh, ended up doing all the audio and the video system in the restaurant because it needed to be done that way. And uh, so then we open and uh, we are going to be a live music venue. And uh, we had a stage set up. And of course, with the pandemic, no, you can't do live music. And uh, one of the other things I should also say, just because it's not just about outlaws, it's about everything that I was kind of touching, was um, I was down in New Orleans on a trade show for the, the jukeboxes and, and arcade games. We, we usually do a run. Sometimes it'll be like uh, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, Vegas, that sort of thing. And this run just happened to be uh, New Orleans, Memphis, and Nashville. And so I was in uh, New Orleans talking with my VP uh, of uh, TouchTunes jukeboxes and putting jukeboxes and basically karaoke systems into cruise ships which would have been kind of my little nest egg uh, thing and uh, and basically moving down to the Caribbean part-time. That was kind of my my goal. And uh, and it sounded like a great idea, if you can imagine how many cruise ships there are out there, and then we would have jukeboxes on there, and we'd be able to do a karaoke function off the jukebox. And, uh, and then that hit. And so I went from a really busy Bourbon Street uh, in New Orleans to an absolutely empty Beale Street in Memphis the next day after the, uh, the pandemic was declared. And even with that, we were supposed to continue on to Nashville. And at that point, uh, Justin Trudeau and everybody in Canada said, you got to come back. It's, it's dangerous. You got to come back. So I did. So I came back and um, hunkered down for those two weeks, like everybody says that we were supposed to. And, and if you talk to almost everybody, everybody is in the same boat, they say, because we didn't know. We saw all the videos right. out there of, of uh, you know, coming from China, people just dropping dead on the, on the streets. So we were all scared. So we all hunkered down. And then, of course, over time, you, you become a little more aware of things and, and you question how is a sheet of plexiglass going to really protect you? And, and anyways, don't all, question the science. <laughs> There's a lot of science out there. We uh, we all come into this in our own ways, right? And uh, and and I'm sure any of the viewers here have their own reasons why, while they're a little bit more aware or a little more awake on on what things happen. But essentially, that entire year we complied. We did the masking. We did the plexiglass. We well, live music venue. If you can imagine, we actually had a musician playing with a mask behind plexiglass on the stage oh, and wow. all they could do was play guitar you couldn't play any woodwind instruments so no uh no harmonica no um uh saxophone nothing like that so it was really that guitar and keyboard was kind of that 
And again, that was for a few months and then they opened things up again. And then we actually had some live music in October of 2020. And then the government said, no, no more live music as of whatever day it was, November 12th. So we had a big event on, uh, on that day and said, yeah, we're going to kind of ramp up uh, and say, we're going to uh, do our live music and uh, we'll be ready to go again, hopefully before Christmas. And uh, of course that didn't happen. That was the year that Christmas was shut down as well. So November, 20, November 26th of, uh, of 2020, uh, Jason Kenney government said, you know what, uh, there's going to be uh, another uh, virus, another mutation. So we're not allowing anybody to touch anything. So not only can you, you have to wipe everything a thousand million times, but you can't play VLTs. And because of that, we couldn't play VLTs, but you couldn't also touch jukeboxes. You couldn't touch arcade games. You couldn't play pool. You couldn't do anything like that. So basically that was from November 26th of 2020 until June 15th of 2020. Wait a minute. Could you touch the debit pin pad? At yes, you could actually oh, touch. Curious. You could touch the debit. What about the self checkout screens? Could you, you could touch probably those? do that oh, as well. Yes, weird. but, but you couldn't touch anything that okay. made money, I guess. Yeah. Or in the doors money. and everything else and the shopping carts, all those. I stuff. Know. It's so easy when you look at it from, you know, 30,000 feet away now and say that just didn't make any sense. But so that was November 26th. And, uh, and basically my, my jukebox company was devastated because you couldn't make any money until June 15th. And that was the, the year that, uh, that Christmas was closed down. So again, we were shut down. Uh, and, uh, and it was just, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve probably for the third or fourth time at that point. So January comes along and we're still waiting. So government, when are you going to let everybody open? When are you going to let everybody open? And then it was around what, January 26th, somewhere in there where Mr. Christopher Scott opened up his restaurant and everybody else was still closed. And we heard about it through the grapevine as uh, this, this guy in Mirror, Alberta, right in the middle. Where of the, the heck is Mirror? No, I, and I actually had to look it up as I'm sure most people do to see exactly where it is. And, and I mean, it's strategically, it made perfect sense for him to do it because he's in the middle of nowhere, right? Stettler's the next closest town that had an RCP detach oh, detachment or Bashaw. Bashaw. Oh yeah, I guess that's right too. Yeah, Bashaw. So you, you got this giant triangle between Camrose, Lacombe and Stettler, I guess is where it is. And you're almost right in the middle. So for them to come out and police it was, uh, was rather difficult. So for us, we phoned up Chris and said, you know, how are you able to do this? And he said, well, just just open up. That's all you need to do. And uh, so we said, OK, well, then that's what we'll do. And we got a hold of our lawyer who happened to be Chad Williamson at the time, who is Chris's lawyer. And uh, he said, uh, I wouldn't recommend that you guys open up. And we were really hoping to open up for the Sunday of the Super Bowl in February. And that was February 7th, I believe. And so in the end, we said, okay, you know what, we'll open up on the 8th, along with everybody else. But the only reason we opened up on the 8th was because of this guy right here, because he put pressure on the government to actually open, show us the science, show us whatever. Because otherwise, we may have been closed until the end of February. We don't know exactly when that date would have happened. So anyways, we all open up on the 8th. And, uh, and at that point, we had three uh, people working for us. And uh, they had to be wearing masks for various reasons. And again, you couldn't ask why are you wearing a, ma a mask? Uh, what you know is it trauma? Is it health? Is it or anything like that? No, you can't ask any medical information that way. Believe it or not. And Ooh. the other thing that uh, irked me was uh, the fact that we had these contact tracing books. 
where you actually had to write in, you know, uh, when you showed up with who, uh, what your contact uh, information was in case there was an outbreak, then the rule was, or the idea was that they'd be able to contact you and say, yes, you know what, uh, there was an outbreak. So now we need everybody to stay home. I, I thought that was bull crap right from the get go. So we really didn't abide by that. So we opened up on that Monday, which was the 8th. And then uh, by the 12th, AHS came in and issued, issued us warnings. <laughs> Not because we were undercooking chicken or anything like that, but it's because we basically said no to masks and no to, uh, to uh, these contact tracing books. But it was more so to kind of just poke them and say, show us the science as to why these things are working. Show us the science as to why the plexiglass is working, which actually, having said that, we still had our plexiglass hanging because each sheet was probably at that point 120 bucks. So yeah. you might as well use what you can. And uh, so we we stayed open. I filled out the OHNS forms and all that. And uh, about two weeks later, after we didn't really comply very well, um, the Calgary Police Service sent in the gang suppression unit along with the AHS Gestapo to steal a phrase from someone else. And they came in and issued us closure notices. And I happened to be the manager on duty that night. And I said, thank you very much. And we will be opening tomorrow morning. And they said, no, that's not what this is about. And I said, yeah, this is what it's about. And so that Saturday, we opened up again. And we had the police come in just to observe. And they basically did that every single day up until they uh, put pressure on uh, the AGLC to basically remove our liquor license. But wait a minute. Yes. They did that on the premise of the CMOH orders. Yes, they did. But they were they, illegal. They were illegal. Oh. Now, we know that. now we know they're illegal. All that stuff is illegal. Didn't we say that back then? No. Well, we said it was. We yeah. thought it was. So um, so good luck trying to run a bar without uh, liquor. I think I started that conversation uh, to say that we had troubles at the beginning. And mm -hmm. now it just seemed to be, you know, you're uh, not going to have uh, the ability to have liquor. And so we still kind of kept open as much as we can. But uh, again, it's difficult to serve pop and 25 cent wings and, and pay $15,000 in lease. And probably at that point, it was probably another 7,000 in utilities, plus wages, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and basically, we ended up calling Rebel News, or at least letting uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed know what was happening with us, and because she had also contacted Chris, and she was doing the reports on what was happening at the whistle stop. And uh, they were fantastic. They came out and did some reports on us and got the word out that this is what was going on. And we ended up doing a rally in front of the AGLC office in Calgary. And, and that's we, when I met. That's when we actually met physically. Yeah, shook hands. Was it love at first sight? Did you see oh, his shirt? Short, right? Were you wearing a shirt? He wasn't wearing glasses at the time. So. Yeah, yeah, I was way cooler <laughs> back then. Would it have changed anything if you wore glasses? You'd be like, no way. Oh, probably. Yeah. Oh I'm yeah. Very, probably. I'm very superficial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, but maybe we had a hindsight in twenty twenty. That's right, yeah. Because um, that's when a lot of people started to wake up in 20. Yeah. And and that's exactly so we you know we did the uh, the AGLC rally and then the word got back to our landlord uh, again putting put pressure on by uh, the Calgary Police Service and uh, and obviously the health uh, Alberta Health Services. And I'm not going to lie, we were behind in rent. You know, we we had the uh, the agreement with our landlord that you know we were going to catch up when things finally opened. 
And, uh, and at that point, I guess the pressure from uh, AHS and uh, police service and whoever else, the government, basically uh, forced us closed. And they asked for our keys. And, uh, and it was such an, in this situation where because of the way the lease was written, everything within those four walls now belonged to the landlord. And I said, no, that's not what we're going to do because I have all my audio and video equipment in there. And, uh, and it's a good thing that we actually canceled the food order that we were going to get that day. Otherwise, we would have been out that. But in the end, yeah, we were out not only the, uh, the furniture and everything that's, that was in those four walls, but uh, the booze, the uh, tap system that we did for the beer, uh, which we're still paying on. Uh, and, um, and, and yeah, and the food. And, uh, so that was, that was shocking. And, uh, and I really didn't think it was going to come to that, but it did. And, uh, and then, yeah, one day we, we went in, gave our keys and, uh, went in that next day, took out all the equipment. And then it was like, okay, all this time and effort over this past year, and now I have nothing to show for it. So a little bit of a depression for probably a week or two. It devastated uh, my business partner, Marla, and uh, so much that uh, she really still can't even talk about what happened in Outlaws. So I guess I'm kind of the uh, the spokesperson for that. And uh, we did a couple of interviews and um, uh, and and she cried the entire time and, uh, and she still does. And uh, I love her so much. And it, it's just a shame that it had to go through that sort of scenario. And that was just one of many, many stories that I came to learn about through this guy, because we ended up going up there at uh, like just a few weeks after, and we did illegal karaoke. That was awesome. And that's how oh, yeah. we, we kind of met each other was that mm, yeah, allegedly alleged. Yeah, we alleged. alleged we we ended up doing karaoke outside. And um, again, because we couldn't really go inside versus, you know, versus inside, outside. Remember that part where there was, you could go inside and outside, but you couldn't. Oh, and you could be outside <laughs> with a roof and no walls yeah. or three walls and no roof. Yes. It was, yeah. yeah. Again, the rules that they were just making up, right? Arbitrary so, yes. is the word. What if you had a round room? What would happen? Exactly. Oh, an oval, an well, oval office. No, the, the universe would explode. <laughs> would implode i think so yeah that, i think that would prove the big crunch because it would all happen right there and we would start That's all right. over again so that was kind right. of me with uh, uh with outlaws and again we even though during that time we still didn't still weren't able to play pool or anything like that and so i really had no money coming in until june 15th when the kenny government finally said yeah we're gonna open and uh so it kind of made sense for me to just hang out at the whistle stop Whistle Stop has a, a campground, and uh, mm -hmm. Marla brought her trailer up there, and we hung out there for weeks at a time, and got consumed to, copious amounts of beer. That is true. Yeah, yeah. There's usually, nothing else to do. That usually, I paid for. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> great. Too bad we didn't go back and get our kegs from Outlaws, but uh, anyway. So that's that's kind of how I met this guy, and um, you know, and and we we, we quickly became fast <laughs> friends, and. Um, we had we had such uh, uh, what what would be the term the 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 people that were hanging out at the whistle stop that that first year we wanted to actually make a sitcom called the whistle stop boys and uh, and I think oh, we yeah. still have that patent pending oh it would have been fantastic it, yeah because the characters that were there the the show practically just wrote itself all we needed was a camera just uh, yeah. walking around behind us anyway Pretty so much. um. 
yeah, lots, lots of fun. And, and, and it's amazing how you lose certain people in your life because they didn't agree with the stand that you take. And yeah. yet you meet other people that you, you really say there's, this happened for a reason. There's no other way I would have met you. And I'm so glad I did. So, right. Well, I'm glad I met you guys. And this is yeah. one of the relationships that came out of this as well. We never would have crossed paths without any of this. No, absolutely. That's right, too. Yeah. So it's definitely an honor and a pleasure here as well to uh, chat with you on this one. Um, did, what was your first fight? Have we fought? Oh, you haven't had one yet? You haven't had one yet? <laughs> well, he hogs the covers. <laughs> He looks I, like uh, he might be that type. You know, I don't think we uh, we get into fights, but we do definitely have disagreements. And uh, so we we've started a production company. So again, there was the whistle stop, and then I was doing my own stuff, and we were doing karaoke. And I would go up there and and do karaoke on the drive-in screen. If you haven't done karaoke outside on a drive-in screen, that's it, awesome. It is it is something to be seen and uh, and heard. And so we did that and we had lots of ideas for doing uh, other events, uh, concerts, and uh, and we just recently did our second annual Bibles and Bowls event uh, in, in Bashan. It was great, by the way. It was, it was, it was great. And, uh, you know, we had uh, barrel racing and uh, bull riding. Uh, we had, uh, what do they call it, ranch bronc, which is different than uh, saddle bronc. Uh, basically no, it was just, saddle bronc. Was it saddle bronc? Yeah. But no, they, there was no saddle. They, it was like bareback, and they just oh, had, they had saddles. You had to, did they? Yeah. Okay. We're witnessing the first fight, folks. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's over. <laughs> All right, and done. So we decided yeah. to uh, to join forces and and do a production company, and so we we did that, and we've got other ideas on the on the go in in uh, terms of entertainment. Because, again, when when you're involved on, we'll call it the freedom side for so long. Everybody thinks that everything that you do should go towards a cause, right? And uh, but as I just explained to you about losing my business, about losing the uh, the bar, and uh, not really fully even recovered in terms of my jukeboxes and arcades, there's uh, there's there's money that you know we need to make up, and so this is like what what a better way to 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 get involved in your community than to host an event that everyone can come together all have fun and it doesn't necessarily have to go towards a particular cause right yeah i mean that's yeah. what we do right yeah. we we do things and if, earn, if a, was, earn if, a living if this was before covid and uh, we had an event uh you would expect it to go towards the business right um right. It, when Ticketmaster holds a uh, a concert or actually not live nation i guess holds the concerts um you just know that that money is going towards live nation and with that money, they then then put it into this giant whatever, and they come out with more concerts. And that's the idea with us is that we want to be able to do more events, bigger events, and uh, and have more fun with people, and and uh, and definitely meet more people too. It's it's amazing. I was, I was a bit. I wouldn't say an introvert because I've never been an introvert, but it's it. There are times where you know you need to decompress and get away. So I'm mm -hmm. I'm a bit of an entertainer that way. But I can attest that Chris is not one of these guys that is actually an extrovert, and you would not you would not guess that because the way he he gets on the stage and speech and and speaks, um, you would think that that is just his natural calling, and maybe it is a natural calling. But you are not normally like that. No, not at all. No, no, no. 
and that's and that's serious. There's not I'm not sarcasm like we always do. It is uh, it is something that uh, Chris has had to work on, and I think just out of necessity and people coming up and talking to him in the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, you you learn to open up. And um, and I also I also used to be a, a, a graphics and multimedia design teacher in in a previous life. I've had many previous lives, but what I found during that time was being a teacher not only is it rewarding as being a teacher, but you learn so much from your students and you learn probably at an accelerated pace because the the kids are always asking you questions and they're always uh, involved in showing you different ways of doing things. And I think that's the same thing. Chris has this gift where people would tell him stories and he would be able to internalize it and, and Mm. express himself in such a way that, um, uh, that people really, learn from that experience you know why that happens it's because i i've learned this about myself over the last four years when i hear some of these stories sometimes i can i actually feel them as if it was my story yeah yeah and i mean i never cry because i'm a man and men don't cry but there's times <laughs> when i've sprung leaks from my eyes and i've had to go to the doctor and be like listen man there's something yeah. going on. yeah sprung a leak in my eye yeah. do but, you have a vaccine for that just so you know that's that's what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens to me so i the one that I always talk about is the, you know, people saying goodbye to their mother over an iPad. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I put myself, oh, I try to put myself in this situation and think, how would that feel? And the emotional response that I have to something like that makes it very easy for me to talk about it and convey my, yeah. um, you know, right. my disgust with it and the need for a solution. So that's, uh, Carrie's right. I'm, I'm a bit introverted. I'm not a performer unless we're doing karaoke. Then, then, he's def- then he's definitely a performer. But yeah, I, I prefer to <laughs> be on my own. I don't like big crowds. Uh, people bother me uh, for the most part. I mean, not now because the people that are around us now are wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of, he, he's right. And I can completely relate with that, Chris. I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert at all. Yeah. I liked being in my shed, working on the computer, getting stuff done behind the scenes. I'm not an extrovert at all, mm-hmm. but my passion to my goal, which is to go and make change so that my family has a better future yeah. is enough to make me uh, stay on that path. I still get nervous on my shows, like butterflies and all that kind of stuff uh, because I, I'm public. I, I'm going to be yeah. seen. They're going to see me. I'm not perfectly shaven or whatever. Like I'm yeah. always concerned about shaved. stuff like that. <laughs> I usually find a beer helps me. Yeah. A beer? Yes, yeah. yeah we, I don't get into that. Yeah, Maybe I, I don't know, know all the tricks. Yeah, I know. We uh, we joke about that all the time whenever we were on. Well, especially when we started our show. So, uh, you know, again, it's one of those tangents that you can go on. We we really mm-hmm. started doing the kind of the Chris and Carrie show thing when we went out on the convoy, right? And uh, by uh, accident, before I even get into it, I think Chris needs to tell a little bit about how he got into the restaurant biz because I think that's a good segue into how we even got onto the. Perfect. Let's go there. And then we'll ask how to become the Chris and Carrie, not the Carrie and Chris that's, show. We'll get to that right. question too. Yeah. Well, we're still debating that one. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm going to find a fight somewhere. I'm going to I'll, find a fight. Actually, you know what? Yeah, it interesting, sounds that way. interesting point. I did change it once. I put the Carrie and Chris show yeah. and both mm-hmm. him and Jessica freaked out. <laughs> like, why did you do that? It's not the Carrie and Chris show. It's the Chris and Carrie show. Oh, sorry. Wow. Yeah, wow. Story. Yeah. I put it back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. So, so you're right. How did I get to the restaurant business? Uh, I moved to Alberta in 2000. Just from where? From Vancouver Island. Okay. Uh, because I wanted to make big money in the oil patch. I wanted to be prosperous. Mm-hmm. 
and prosper I did. I spent 20 years in the oil patch and I, uh, I did well. You know, I had, before the pandemic, I had, I only owed like 60 or $70,000 on my house. I had another rental house. I had new vehicles. Like I could buy things um, unless the oil patch tanked. And then of course I was selling everything, eating itchy band, like every other Alberta. Yeah. But for the most part, mm-hmm. I prospered in this province, but I, I got to the point where I was sick of <laughs> the ups and downs created largely by poor government policy. Mm-hmm. And this vilification and attack on energy and this 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 bogus climate change agenda that really wasn't founded in reality. And that affected me all the time. Like we would have some new set of rules come down and the oil patch would crash and I would be out of, out of work for three months or four months or whatever, yeah. trying to maintain $10,000 a month of payments because that's how we live in this country. Anyway, I got fed up with it and I said, uh, I, w- I was actually working in Colombia as a superintendent for an oil company. And through political BS, I lost that job, uh, ended up back in Canada. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I, I, I work myself to the bone. I'm away from my family all the time. Mm-hmm. And for what? In the end, all I have is this paycheck. I don't really have anything. I got nothing to leave my kids except for, you know, money. So I want to do something different. And this restaurant and convenience store gas station had been for sale for a few years because the owner apparently realized what it was like to be completely married to a business and never be able to leave. Um, And I thought, you know, this is a decent business. Why don't I just buy this property and I'll just let it run the way it is with the current employees. I'll be just an investor. And that way, um, you know, I can manage this and just take a small paycheck and then Mm -hmm. be home. Well, Within the first couple of weeks, I lost a couple of cooks mm-hmm. and I had never cooked in a commercial kitchen before. So I was thrown into the kitchen. Now, I, I want to point out again, I got the restaurant. I bought the restaurant because I was tired of the government interfering mm-hmm. in my prosperity. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do something where I would be left alone as an introvert. Right. So I ended up in the kitchen cooking, terrified at first, fell in love with it. I found that I enjoy serving people. I enjoy making food that people love. I love the restaurant idea. You know, the hours and the and the being married to it kind of, they suck a little bit, but it's it's mm-hmm. worth it in the end. So I, I love this job. Um, that was July 2019. Yeah. January 2020, the government interfered in my prosperity unlike anything that i've ever experienced in my life actually like they literally it wasn't just that i couldn't find a job it was that the government told me that i was no longer allowed to do my job in such a way that i could earn a living Mm. and so i'm like wow what what are the chances did 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 this happen because i got out of the oil patch like is the universe trying to teach me a lesson for something in a previous life anyway possibly um (laughs) i i complied for the first year, yeah, right. we did the mask thing. We did the bulletproof glass. We did the hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, the the physical distancing, and I call it physical distancing because social distancing is a complete different thing. But that's actually what right. we did. Right. And uh, partway through, you know, you start hearing stories about mental health issues. Like people, families are stuck in at home together. They're going they get cabin fever. They're stir crazy. Domestic abuse is up. Kids are unhappy. Families are unhappy. So I started thinking, you know, as a as kind of a hub of a community, what can I do that gives people some sort of something to do 
while following the rules because I'm scared of the big bad government, right? Right. And I came up with this idea of a drive-in movie. I said, well, why don't I do a drive-in movie? I mm -hmm. bought a inflatable drive-in movie screen. I put it on the roof of the Whistle Stop Cafe. And this is before I had a patio. Yeah. Um, I bought a cheap Bang Fun projector. That's mm -hmm. the name of it, Bang Fun. <laughs> yeah, okay. An <laughs> FM transmitter. Yeah. And I started playing movies on the roof of the Whistle Stop. And the idea was people could come there. Uh, they could park six or eight feet apart. They wouldn't have to interact. We could bring them their food, wearing our masks, bathing in sanitizer, following all the rules. But the families in our community would have a way to go and do something and break the monotony of the pandemic. Yeah. Right. And the first movie we played was Minions. Okay. I remember I remember the way the Minions looked as if they're walking <laughs> on the roof of the whistle stop on this drive-in movie <laughs> screen. And we had about six or seven people show up and it was fantastic. Like the people... The people that were there were so relieved there was yeah. something to do because there was literally nothing, nothing no, to right. do. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, let me back up a second. That summer, uh, I remember we were we were open for a little bit. Yeah. Right. Well, they, they had, that they, first summer. Is, yeah. They, they opened us. Then. They opened us back up. Yeah. But another thing that we saw happening was none of the organizations that were doing their uh, music festivals or anything like that had planned anything for that year because right. nobody yeah. was sure that they could do it. Yeah. And as Carrie right. and I found out, once you start ticking the boxes for these events, yeah. you ramp up to 60 or 70 or $80,000 pretty damn quick. Yeah. Yeah. And Correct. then yeah, there's the no deposits and everything up front and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if the government says, you know, you can't do this event, then you're stuck holding the bag. So nobody did it. Yeah. And, and at this point, um, you know, I, I had made some new friends because of the place and we decided, you know what, our veterans are having a real tough time mm -hmm. because nobody's fundraising, nobody's helping. It's just, they're just getting left alone. So we decided we're going to do a music festival to support the uh, Calgary Veterans Association Food Bank. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And the slogan Great. at the bottom of the shirt was we did it anyway, because everyone told us, oh, don't do that. The government's going to shut you down. And I said, screw that. Somebody's got to do something so that people can actually, you know, first of all, do something and then raise some money for these causes. So we did that. Um, we didn't make any money at it because it was the first event that I yeah. had ever done. I had no idea that it cost $2,000 a weekend for porta potties. I had no idea that a sound man and sound cost $3,000. Yeah. So by the time the dust settled, we really didn't make any money or raise any money except for, um, you know, the random things that were happening around the event. So, so they did, they did raise a little bit of money. Anyway, there's another story to that in which, uh, as our opinions differed through of, of how to handle this pandemic issue and the government mandates, one of the people that was friends with me and supported me throughout that entire thing, helped me build the drive-in movie screen, uh, resorted to going on the internet and saying that I stole from the veterans and these horrible, horrible things about me, which, which aren't true. Oh, no. Anyway, that's a totally different story. So we did this music event and the slogan was, we did it anyway, because nobody else in Alberta mm -hmm. would do anything like this. And we were the only ones. So then we're continuing through this. Lockdowns are back. We go through the drive-in movie thing. First time we had about six cars. The next time there was like 30. The next time there was 102. Yeah. And we were completely overrun. Great. It came to a point where there was like 600 people at the Whistle Stop Cafe with 32 seats never intended to serve that many people there was i mean we, we couldn't do it we we pivoted as best we could and we got really good at serving large amounts of food but uh it took us a little bit anyway the point is that the response from the communities was huge and everybody was coming to these drive-in movies yeah 
So what does AHS do? Even though we had hand sanitizer, everybody was parked. Like people would volunteer to park cars eight feet from each other and measure it to make sure we were doing the distancing. Um, They were even when they were lining up to come in the store and buy chips, they were standing eight feet apart on their own without being asked because they were, we wanted to follow the rules and make sure that we could continue doing this. What does AHS do? They came in and said, you got to shut this down. I said, why? We're following all of the rules. Every single rule we're following it and we're making sure. I mean, I even had a, a thing that played on the movie that said, listen, if you go inside, use the hand sanitizer before and after, follow the physical distancing, let's keep the rules in mind so we can continue. And they said, well, it doesn't matter that you're following the rules. We don't have a rule book or a set of rules for this. So you have to shut down until we deal with this. Yeah. Instead said, of using yours, yours as an example to yeah, create that template. Exactly. They're just gonna shut said, you down. That's not the way this works. I said, if you right. have a reason for me to shut down, that's putting the public at, at risk, then I'll comply. But until then, we're following the rules you have laid out. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, the end result was that they told me to shut down or they were going to pull my license. So I shut down. I took to social media. And by this time, I had a following, a huge following of like 5,000 people. And I said, for a Listen, small little cafe, that's that's a big number, right? And this yeah. is because well, how, many, how many people are in, in Mirror? What's the population of Mirror? 500. 500. So I said, and this is what's happening. I'm sorry, guys, but I can't do the drive-in movie because AHS is doing this. Well, oh, my goodness. We made the national news. Um, we were all over the news within Alberta, British Columbia, Saskatchewan. We made the National Post and the Toronto Star. Um, small town diner trying to help people through the pandemic get shut down from ty- tyrannic or tyrannical uh, Alberta Health Service. Anyway, in the end, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in, in hourly wages and things like that, getting all of the authority in a room together. I, I said hundreds of thousands, it was tens of thousands. I think they said it was like 60 grand or something. Uh, the cops, the fire chief, the OHS guys, the AHS people, all of these organizations had to get in a conference room and put together a set of rules for the Whistle Stop Cafe that covered yeah. my operations because the public outcry was so loud that they couldn't ignore it. So right. the public of this province and this country actually pressured the government, pressured Alberta Health Services to the point where we reopened with a set of ridiculous rules yeah. that included uh, people weren't allowed to use the washrooms. So I said, you're really okay with people just peeing in the middle of the parking lot? And uh, newsflash, we let people use the washrooms anyway. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> so we get through this, uh, and then we're going through lockdown after lockdown. Now November is coming, and December comes, and Jason Kenny apologizes. We're sorry for shutting down businesses. We shouldn't decide who's essential. You're all essential. Uh, nine days later, he says, Hey, we're shutting down your, your business again. None of you are essential. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Other than uh, and healthcare, I, healthcare workers. Or... I was furious, furious because by this point I had moved from a position of money in the bank, equity in my house, um, fairly stable financially to, I don't know how I'm going to make my payment on this business next month. Mm-hmm. That's how quickly, in, in that short period of time, from, from uh, uh, January of that year until December, I went from a, a, a good business position to a business position so precarious, I wouldn't be able to survive another two weeks closed. That's a lot of money, like mm-hmm. a, a, a ton of money. And mm-hmm. partially, 
you know, partially because I was a, a new business owner. Yeah, of course, it's more expensive. You There's a learning curve. But the other part of it was I, I, I have this soft spot and I don't like to lay people off. So rather than laying people off, <laughs> I took the subsidies. Like I said before, I kept people working. I tried to do more things and I put myself in a better financial situation. Anyway, that's no one's fault, uh, but, but mine. So December, Jason Kenny shuts us down again. And I had a talk with my sister, who is my business partner. And I said, listen, we can't survive this. If they don't open us up in the 30 days that they say they're going to open us up, mm -hmm. I'm opening. Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, you should have opened three months ago, you idiot. So I'm prepared now. The day is coming closer, coming closer. I have a conversation with my staff. I say, hey, we might end up going to jail because I'm going to open this place uh, or we're, I'm going to lose it anyway. Mm -hmm. We're behind you, Chris, 100%. Mm -hmm. The day comes and Dean Henshaw gets on the, the uh, live stream, Facebook Live, and she says, well, we're not going to open you up because uh, we need another week. We need another week to flatten the curve. And I'm thinking, it's been 58 weeks of the two weeks to flatten the curve. You have no idea what you're doing. Correct. But I'll listen to you anyway because I'm a scaredy pants of the government. So another week goes by. We're getting ready to reopen. The place is shiny. We got a bunch of new <coughs> renovations done. We're ready to rock. And when I say renovations, I mean like hanging pictures. <laughs> mm -hmm. Jason Kenny and Dina Hinshaw come on Facebook alive, uh, Facebook alive, Facebook live again. And Dina Hinshaw says, we, we, I'm unfortunately, we can't allow businesses to open. We have no idea when you're going to be able to open. And then I was like, you're an idiot. Yeah. You mm -hmm. don't know what you're doing. You have no business making these decisions because if you can't give me an end to this, I'm not going to comply with this at all. Mm -hmm. And my staff was like, yeah, we're behind you. At this point, I had no money in the bank, nothing, nothing. I, I think I was even overdrawn. I said to my staff, we're going to open, but uh, I need you to work for free. And they said, we will happily work for free to make a stand. Yeah. And we wow. did that. Wow. Well, the rest is history. The place was completely overrun with people from all over the province. Um, the staff that were working for free were earning 10 times their wage in tips every day because yeah. people were so grateful that someone was standing up. Mm -hmm. Then the stories start flooding in of, of harm that had been done to the people of Alberta. And uh, it changed me from a scared animal backed into a corner, forced to, 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 to have a fight reflex to survive. Right. To like a, almost like watching watching a little kid get beat up by a bully in the schoolyard and the bully's big, but you know that you have to get in there and take a licking mm -hmm. with that kid because they don't deserve that. Right. And, and it was at that point that I made a commitment and I said, I'm going to follow this through to the end because this isn't about a little cafe and mirror. This isn't about my income. This is about an entire world being held hostage by bureaucrats who have no skin in the game and will never feel the repercussions of the mandates that they're enacting. And from that day forward, I never backed down except for once. The one time I did was after I got arrested, I was sitting in jail and my lawyer said to me, oh yeah, just sign the bail conditions. Everyone signs that. It's in your best interest. You're better on the outside. So I signed bail conditions saying that I would follow the rules. And I got out and I felt filthy for doing right. that. I felt absolutely right. disgusting for, for signing that. And, and living like that and, and putting myself in a position where I had to follow rules that I knew were wrong and I knew were harming people. So that's the, that is the only thing I would change. Mm -hmm. But since then, I haven't backed down. My, my lawyers 
advised me to um, look out for myself and take a plea deal. Take this plea deal. It all goes away. The government looks stupid because you're only paying this small fine and guilty to one charge. Ha ha, they're idiots. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because this isn't about me and my best interests. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've threatened to fire my free lawyers twice. Mm -hmm. Once in the beginning, when they told me, hey, man, you've made your point. It's in your best interest to just close your doors and comply because you could get in serious trouble. I had to say, stop it. Stop talking about my best interest because this isn't about me. This is about the province. This is about the country. Mm -hmm. And your job is to get me through this with the least amount of harm to me while Correct. working towards <clears throat> Those are the words that came out of my mouth. And the next time was the plea deal. I said, if you if you tell me I'm crazy one more time for taking this plea deal, I will fire you and I will get my own lawyer. And afterwards, it, it, was, it was it was an awkward conversation because yeah. you don't want to have those conversations with your lawyer, especially when you're kind of, you know, you're friendly, right? But afterwards, they, they apologized and, and said, thank you for doing that because we started digging into yeah. the case and we realized the implications of what Alberta Health Services and the government had done. Meanwhile, we're waiting for Ingram. Um, but we're uncovering all of this stuff, like emails where AHS was, they were describing, they were signing their emails with things like to live or die at, in, in Mirror, Alberta. At one point, one of the AHS health inspectors said it was too bad that the COVID case in Sobeys hadn't come from the Wistop Cafe because they could get me. Mm -hmm. They were mocking Explain me. Explain that. Explain that a little bit. There was, there was a COVID case at Sobeys in Lacombe. Okay. AHS was called to come investigate this COVID case because, you know, the compliant little sheep, I shouldn't call people sheep, the compliant people, you know, they have to report these things so that the government can get involved and screw everything up. Anyway, they're investigating this and they're like, darn it, why couldn't it be COVID from the whistle stop? Then we could really get this guy. We could hammer this guy. They were saying things like, we need to shut him down because he's making us look bad. Correct. We need to get him. We need to... As a matter of fact, the district manager said something to the effect of, is there some way or some mechanism in which we could get this guy? Mm -hmm. Because he's making us look bad, we can't allow this any longer. You know what they didn't mention once? What's that? Health. Mm -hmm. yeah. Not once. Yeah. In all of that communication, they never said this guy's a risk to health. As a matter of fact, they said, we can't let it out that this isn't about health. Right. That's in an email and that's in court record. Yeah. That was entered as evidence. We can't let the public know that this is about um, enforcing rules and not about health. Compliance. These are the things that we uncovered in my trial. These are the things that we uncovered because I was stubborn enough to not uh, take that easier path, you know? And here's something people don't realize. If, if you think that, I got away scot-free with all this. If you think that I, uh, you know, I got rich and I say that because I, I forgot to mention at one point, AHS went after the lady that I was buying the place from. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you don't cancel your contract or evict him or make him stop, we're going to put you in jail. She lost her freaking marbles, yeah. like coming into the whistle stop, yelling and screaming and swearing in front of customers because she was scared. And uh, the only avenue that I could figure out to get rid of this was if I owned the place, but I wasn't in a position to do it. We fundraised and in four days, five days, we raised $160,000, okay, we... yeah. which was, uh, it was only half of what I owed, but it was enough to make a down payment and arrange a mortgage with her. 
not through a bank because I would never get credit again in my rest of my life. But I, I got that done. I had the title in my hand and I said, how do you like me now, AHS? Get me evicted <laughs> now. It's mine. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, that's a lot of money. But the reality is the only reason I've survived and kept my doors open this whole time, traveling across the province and speaking and being away for weeks at a time in advocating for change is because I've sacrificed my future in that I've let things accumulate to the point where I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Mm-hmm. So right. my restaurant being open is the illusion of success just because the doors are open and the lights are on. Yeah. At this point, mm-hmm. I, I owe so much money that if I, if I sold the place and my house, I may be able to get away without being in debt. But oh that's the reality of this situation. And it's not, uh, it's not, I didn't do that because it's a good business move. I didn't do it because it's good business to put all of your equity and all of your eggs into that business. I did it because people travel from all over the country. And actually there's people from England there yesterday. Um, they, they, they come to the whistle stop from all over the country and they say things like, I can't believe I'm here. This place is on my bucket list because that all the time because of the thing. Yeah. The stand you guys took, and I'm like, oh, man, I just I'm just serving hamburgers and pouring coffee. But people literally burst into tears in that place, and to be on to be on somebody's bucket list, a bucket list is the things you want to accomplish before you die. That's a significant yeah. thing. And there's going to be trolls out there that saying, oh yeah, who'd want to go there and get food poisoning? Well, you know what? Nobody gets food poisoning at my place, mm-hmm. for starters. Mm-hmm. Number two, it, it doesn't matter if people understand that. I see it. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it thousands of times. And that alone put me in a position where business went by the wayside. And it was all about keeping that beacon of hope, people call it, open and available for those who who, who wanna, want to feel that. So, you know, it's... Uh, and it's, it's a tough thing to say out loud because uh, I, I don't want to be in a situation where I have to you know, dispose of the place because it's become something bigger than a restaurant. It's become something bigger than a, a dust bowl of a cafe. Um, and, it became and there, our Alamo. It, it, yeah. Well, you know, I, <laughs> the well, Alamo. A bit of a last stand right there. The Alamo <laughs> didn't go well. <laughs> but Right, but it was still the stand. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're in the midst of that battle. And I've... Uh, I've had other, this isn't the only opportunity that I've had for, for remedy. I I've had offers from other lawyers to file a claim on my behalf that would probably be settled pretty quickly because Mm -hmm. my stuff is pretty cut and dry. You know, I was, I was jailed. My right to protest was infringed. I wasn't able to earn any income. They stole my property because they brought men with guns, the police, HS Mm -hmm. brought some men with guns and they took my property from me illegally. That's now I can get a robbery, for- by the way. No, it's not stealing. That's armed robbery. It is a high well, risk. Yeah, it's that's kind of what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But uh, through this whole time, I just keep thinking, if I just keep swimming mm-hmm. and I don't look back and I keep going, eventually I'm going to reach the other side. Mm-hmm. And if I don't reach the other side, I wasn't strong enough and I don't deserve it in the first place. So I'll just drown. You know, that's where I'm at with this business. So there is no going back. And the only hope is, um, is this remedy. But it occurs to me, like the text I just got from a fellow named Fred, 
who lost way more than I, I did. Yeah. Some of the people that went through this stuff, no amount of financial remedy will ever fill the void of what they've lost. Correct. You know, they, they didn't have their business become something that fills their soul to, to, to this effect. Um, they just lost it. They just lost their business and they're penniless and they're broke and nobody's helping them and nobody cares. And it's like life just goes on and, 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 oh, there's no more restrictions right now. So everything's okay. No, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. It is not okay. There's damage that's been done to the people of this province in this country that cannot be undone. And the only hope we have of, of any kind of reconciliation is that if there is an admission that things went terribly wrong, and those people are recognized and compensated to the best of our ability for the losses that they've incurred. Mm -hmm. So my potential loss of my, my net worth and my business pale in comparison to the, you know, the family, the family in Edmonton of the, the owner of the, uh, uh, the sawmill restaurant. Yeah. He's no longer with us. Yeah. You know, that's just one of thousands of people in this province that are no longer with us. You know, they lost, they didn't have a beacon of hope. They didn't have any hope left. Mm -hmm. And the, and the alternative was, uh, was, was to not feel anything at all. So I suppose that also you, you have to, you have to recognize that there's people on the other side of this that just believe that it was all justified. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the other part of it. I think through things like this, this lawsuit, and as information comes out, and especially, have you, have you, you've seen the NCI testimony, the National Citizens Absolutely. Thousands yeah, of people to... from across this country testified as yeah. to their experiences of, of this. That's, it's just got to get out in the public so that even the people that are offside with us have a chance to at least try and put themselves in the shoes of the, the other side. Mm. And it, at the very least, come to a point where they can say, hey, you know what, you know what, we, maybe people weren't treated fairly and we should do better next time. Correct. That's, that's where the win is going to come from. Mm -hmm. Right. I do. And I was just going to point. That's, that's good though. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to point to that. Yeah. You won't be able to recover. We've lost some people. We can't bring them back. Businesses are gone. We can't bring them back. We won't be able to recover everything, yeah. but we better learn from this one. Yes. So we don't do it a second time. That would be, that would be the, the remedy on this one as well. If all other provinces start to lock down and do crazy stuff, but not here, yeah. uh, if we were able to do that, that would be a great win. Yeah. Um, have you been in contact at all with the UCP or any leadership there? Um, have they reached out to try and apologize? Have they done anything to try and encourage you to find a way to settle this up? Have you had any of that yet? Did you go for Jameson shots with uh, Jason Kenny lately? Oh, on the Sky Palace? The Sky Palace. I was drinking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, so I don't, honestly, I don't think it would be appropriate for anybody in the government to reach out on this matter. Like I, I think that, well, I meant pre-filing before you filed anybody trying to reach out and make things happen. Oh, okay. So, um, let's back up a minute. The officer that arrested me, mm -hmm. uh, Sergeant Bruce Holliday, he's no longer with us either. Um, oh, one of the things that I really appreciated about Bruce was that he made it known to me that he knew what was going on was wrong. He was apologetic about it. And at the same time, he's like, listen, this stuff has to get sorted out in court. It's not my job to sort it out, but I, I know this isn't right, but I have to arrest you. 
And that's the relationship we had. It was a mutual respect. I knew he had a job to do. He knew I was never going to back down. And we knew that that was the path we were going. But he would say things, uh, or when they came in to serve me papers, they would lean over and be like, hey, you know, Bruce wants you to know that he's rooting for you and he hopes you win. Right. Um, it was the same thing with many, many MLAs. I've met more MLAs yeah. in my in the last four years than I even knew existed five years ago or six years ago. And that's not true. I knew they existed. But the story is always the same. It's we man, we're so happy to meet you. We we're really rooting for you, hoping you win. Thanks for standing up to Kenny. You know, I wish we could have done more, but we didn't. And I'm like, you coward. You, know, you, right. you could have done more. You could have done more. And it's sad to hear them say that. It's sad to hear MLAs say things to me like, um, we knew it was wrong, but we couldn't stand up and say something because we thought we were alone. Right. Or because of Jason Kenny. Well, I've stood up to Jason Kenny, I don't know how many times, and I don't have a government paycheck to fall back on. Right. So there is there is certainly some measure of accountability for our MLAs who wouldn't stand up. Now, granted. I don't know how this bureaucracy works. And I think I know what I've learned is that our government has less power than we think. The bureaucracy that continues government to government have much more power, influence and sway than the government ever will have. And that's something we've allowed to happen through legislation. Beauty part about that is we can fix it through legislation as well. But the the MLAs, they say the same thing. You know, we're, we're always rooting for you. Um, um, I still, I'm still in contact with some MLAs and, and the premier from time to time, certainly not as much before she, as before she took office. And, and I know 100% that there are very good people who are really trying their absolute best to right the wrongs that have happened. But you right. have to remember that the bureaucracy that they're up against, there's 600 bureaucrats in the upper echelon of Alberta Health Services. And like four of them are, are, are conservative. Mm-hmm. This is what our government has to work with right now. This is what they're fighting. And this idea that every one of them are evil and bad and need to be thrown in jail because of what happened to us is it's completely ludicrous. These are good people. Not all of them. There's mm-hmm. some really stinking evil ones as well. But there are many, many good people that are trying to uh, trying to help this. I'm sure there's probably the, the majority of the MLAs, I bet you they would, they were saying inside, settle this, settle it, settle it, yeah, settle it. Yeah. Give these people the remedy. They deserve it, you know, but they have other things to consider. And they also, you also have to consider that COVID and the restrictions are not the only conversation going on in government right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So no, no, none of them have reached out and said, Hey, let's settle this. But I know that the support is there and the, and the, 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 the sympathetic ear is there. Right. Within our current government, mm-hmm. they are not perfect at all. Not perfect. Um, but they're what we have right now. And there are legislators. And if we can engage and we can do it effectively, we can make some change in this province that will make sure this never happens again. Never. And That's it, what it, I hope it, it is interesting that uh, you brought in the politics things because... Chris and I were never into politics. Like the, the I only, almost did. The only thing that I kind of even 
well, I mean, you vote every four years and that's that's how you think politics works, right? Uh, but prior to COVID, there was no way that I even thought of being involved in, in politics or even, uh, uh, you know, really checking out what policies there are and how the legislature, I didn't even know what the difference between a, uh, uh, like a, a C bill was and, uh, you know, if it ended up going into the Senate, like I didn't know any of I that. I thought a C bill was a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, know, didn't know what the process was or anything. And and just because of what happened with us, um, I felt like it was it was a way I had to educate myself. And I think right. that yeah. was something that definitely happened to a lot of people. They kind of woke up and said, the government's doing a bunch of stuff behind our backs and they're treating us like we don't know what we're what what they're even doing. And so we need to educate ourselves. And so that's kind of the way. I even got into uh, into looking into into politics, and again, I had never really thought uh, that I would uh, certainly uh, be involved in a political party to what extent uh, that I was. Because even in Manitoba, where I grew up, uh, as you well know, Jason, uh, you know it's pretty much uh, well, it's flip flopped many times. Yeah, NDP, mm -hmm. Liberal, Conservative. Uh, versus if you're out here in, in Alberta, it's pretty much been a conservative government since, you know, the, the 40s and 50s, other than the, the social credit. But I mean, that was basically a conservative type of uh, idea. Um, but there was, there's, you know, when when this happened, um, and we, uh, we were kind of asked to speak at a bunch of different events, uh, basically just kind of tell the same type of story that we're telling you. And uh, we were involved with, uh, originally it was called the Alberta Unity Project, and then it was changed to the Alberta Prosperity Project. Right. And so Chris, to Chris, who is now the CEO. Interim. Interim CEO of the Alberta Prosperity Project. And uh, and even with my stint, I ended up uh, running uh, as an MLA with the, uh, the Independence Party of Alberta. And... That was almost as uh, a necessity because no one else at the time was was standing up. I was involved with the party uh, through mutual friends, and of course, my, my girlfriend uh, Vicky Bayford was also the previous leader of the Alberta Independence Party. So I was brought into that um, really just as a helper at first, and then figured out um, very quickly that this was kind of a path that we should be taking and everyone out there should be at least involved in some way in their own government or maybe even a, a school board or anything like that just get out of your house because it's not just about what happens inside your four walls uh politics affects everything it affects the cost of groceries it affects uh travel plans and if you name it there's a political side to it. And I think we've all been complacent for the last however many years that we've just said, you know what, we're, you know, I'm just going to do what I'm told. I'm just going to be a good doobie. And, uh, and when something like this happens to you and you say, so where did these policies come from? Where did the, for me, it was, where did the science come from uh, right. for all these mandates? And you find out there really wasn't any, and you find out that, you know, the backroom, deals if you want to call that or do or just uh talking um and and to me it 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 really opened my eyes and said no i got to be involved and uh so yeah i ended up uh running as an mla in um this past election in may 
And so here's the reason why I did that. I knew I wasn't going to win, win because okay. uh, groups like uh, Take Back Alberta really put it in the public's mind that you had to vote for a conservative government, otherwise the NDP is going to get in. Don't vote for anybody else because you're going to split the vote, et cetera, et cetera. And even in my constituency, which was Strathmore, uh, Chesmere Strathmore, um, and I forget the actual numbers off the top of my head, but the uh, the conservative uh, winner ended up uh, at like say fourteen thousand, and the NDP was at five thousand. So even if we split the vote in half, if I got half the votes, we'd I'd still have seven thousand votes, right? And the UCP would still have seven thousand, and then the NDP would only have five. So there are certain um, constituencies that that definitely happened. Uh, and uh, and there was an issue with the splitting of the vote. And the riding that uh, I, I live in, which is not uh, uh, Chesmere Strathmore, I lived up in, uh, in Northwest Calgary, and the riding that I was in totally split the vote. And uh, so much that it was almost even between the UCP and the NDP. It was six votes, wasn't it? Well, I forget exactly what it was, but it was UCP and NDP say both had 5,000. doesn't matter what the actual math was. But then uh, some of the votes were taken away by the independent uh, um, candidate as well as the solidarity. And that swung the vote to the NDP by, I'm going to say, about 130 votes. It was more than the 100 threshold that they needed for the uh, recount. But it was that close. Right. And so it wasn't the fact that the NDP won. It was the fact in that particular constituency, the UCP lost. And there's right. a big difference between that. The mm -hmm. UCP candidate just didn't do a very good job. He was the not. Chandra, wasn't it? No, this was uh, Jason Luan, who oh, happened yeah, to be yeah. the, oh, Luan, right, yeah. the health uh, uh, minister of mental health at the time, I believe, is what his his thing was. And uh, and he just, you know, he hunkered down and didn't really talk about things. And I, I would blast him on Facebook and my uh, my comments would be deleted. And uh, anyway, so I, I decided to run as uh, the, the Independence Party primarily just to get in front of people and actually have a conversation about not only independence, but what the Alberta Prosperity Project talks about and talks about a, um, basically limiting the federal government uh, jurisdiction in Alberta and it basically making Alberta, you can say its own sovereign nation or own sovereign area. But the idea is that we're, we can do things in our own province that um, that basically like Quebec can do. Right. So right. we pick our own. Uh, we can do our own tax collection. We could do our own uh, policing. Uh, we definitely have to manage our resources better. And uh, because anything that's within Alberta is it should be our resources. But the federal government comes in and says, no, you can't build a pipeline because then it goes through different jurisdictions. And it's like, well, if I want to have a conversation with Saskatchewan, Alberta and Saskatchewan should be able to have that conversation without having to deal with. The that was federal. the original intent of our Constitution. Yeah, yeah. Interprovincial communication and the federal yeah. government would come in on disputes or where there's mediation yeah. required, and that's that would right. be it. Yeah, that's, that's the right. Original and, constitution. Yeah, the 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 amount that the federal government should be in 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 Alberta's face should be written on a post-it note. Like it's it's not a big big amount that they should be doing. And so I wanted to get in front of the uh, the students in schools and uh, even in retirement homes, which I ended up going into and speaking about this. And it was amazing how many people were like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I was told that hundreds of times that I didn't know that. And, mm -hmm. and it's because it's just not talked about in mainstream media. 
And uh, so I accomplished what I wanted to do uh, in terms of, of running. And like I said, I, it wasn't the point of, of uh, winning, but just getting another audience out there and trying to convert them to uh, the idea of uh, what uh, the Alberta Prosperity Project holds. And, and I host karaoke out in, uh, in Chester mm. every Friday night, which, uh, and it, it's every, I've got a bit of a following out there and they, they supported me, but it was funny because they supported me, uh, but I've had dozens of people come up after the fact and said, well, we certainly supported you, but I actually couldn't vote for you. I had to vote for the conservative because I was concerned that the NDP would win. Right. So, and I said, uh, well, you can do that for me the next time, except the next time they're going to come up with the exact same thing. They're going to say, you know what, uh, with everything that's happened in these coming four years, NDP is going to have a bit of a stronger uh, hold for whatever reason they'll come up with. And we'll be doing exactly the same thing in four years. So, And, and you've done a great job. And what's actually happened out of this COVID stuff, the overreach we've seen for the last three years, there's a huge push now for independent candidates yeah. all yeah. over this country, like we've yeah. never seen before. Oh, absolutely. You know, Saskatchewan, and I'm not surprised. Yeah. And, and there are strongholds that will never do that, like uh, Vancouver, mm -hmm. uh, uh, downtown Toronto, um, you know, Montreal, I guess the big cities for, for lack of well i wouldn't use never i would use, i wouldn't use never on that if they end up becoming islands of idiocy because they're still yeah. using the old party system and stuff like that if they become islands they eventually will waken up if yeah. the entire country has changed they will follow they are yeah. followers uh, yeah. so i wouldn't say forever uh but i wanted to uh, applaud you both for for a couple of things here and i've been seeing it in the chat so i now have the validation on it you both inspired all of canada not just alberta so there's a whole bunch of people saying, you know, I wish we did this here. Is there a way to push this here? So I'm just remind Ontario of something. Uh, Pastor Henry Hildebrandt, he was on the show. Yes, and yeah. he explained exactly what you guys did as well. He tried to play within the rules. So mm -hmm. at one point, in order to have service, they weren't allowed to have it inside his church. So he understood that. They even came and changed the locks on him. He understood that. And he tried to do everything to keep going. So what he came up with was similar to your movie night. Mm -hmm. People would show up in their car, keep the windows up. The rules were keep your windows up, tune on a radio station, have an FM transmitter, yeah. and that's how service was being done. Police showed up and said, oh, wow, look what you're doing here. But they just observed. And then the police said, well, you know what? This is actually not bad. You're, you're following all the rules. You're doing what you should be doing. <coughs> and, then they, and they left. Yeah. So they thought, great, we now have a formula to keep going with that service. No, that lasted one, one or two weeks. Because they came back with the health department the next time and did exactly yeah. what happened to you. There yeah. was no violations. This just looks bad. Too many people will catch on this. So they absolutely shut it down. $250,000 worth of fines later. This, this gentleman is, is still dealing with this stuff uh, today. What I'm going to call out to Ontario is take a look at what these two guys did here in Alberta. Continue to push the fight and file yeah. litigation. Absolutely. Let them, let them come after you and force you into a court. Because that's really the place where we test what they're trying to do in, in the public sphere is when they file against somebody or charge somebody, then it gets into the court and then that rule or law or order can get tested. Mm -hmm. Because that happened here in Alberta, we found the cracks. We found that, yes, mm -hmm. this, these orders were illegal. And then there's a big ripple effect from that. So I'm actually going to call out to our friends in uh, Ontario. Pay close attention to this because all of this opened up for Alberta simply because they chose to not comply.
Mm-hmm. That, I think, is the key going forward here. If you want to see coast-to-coast judgments like we're seeing here happen in Alberta, and I'm speaking to the rest of the country now, you have to not comply, and you have to force them to try and enforce it onto you. Yeah. That's how you get it into the courts. That's how you can get your witnesses there. And really there there's more, more to that, though. <laughs> I was there, going to say, well. it's very, very difficult for people to be standing up because, as we saw, it, there, people will be going, well, I have to comply because I'm going to lose my house or uh, I'm going to lose daycare for my kids. And so it, it's difficult to just say, I will not comply. I know I will not comply if there's anything else coming up. Uh, I'll be, I'll be the rebel that does that. I'll be the outlaw. Um, and, and really I can just, just say, you know, it's, it's better in numbers. So if, mm-hmm. uh, if you feel like you're isolated, just look at what the convoy did. Everyone thought that they were isolated at the time and all these trucks ventured out from all, uh, all three points, I guess in Canada and converged on Ottawa. And it was amazing how many people that reached out to us and said, I really thought I was alone. I thought why well, I was the, uh, the nutcase. And, uh, and right. thank you so much for, for stepping up and, and, and reporting on that. And I think that's kind of to get in, unless you weren't wanted to say something else. Yeah. There's another part of that statement. You have to say, I will not comply and I will face the consequences. Mm, there right. will be consequences. And I'll tell you, you know, I used to think that, here, here's what I thought. When I stood up, I thought, well, you know what? If other restaurants see me, they're going to do the same thing. It'll all be over. And that would have been the truth. If yes. everybody had stood up, if all the restaurants had stood up, it would have been over. Correct. If That's all right. the gyms had stood up, it would have been over. If all the doctors had stood up, it over. Nurses, over. Yeah. AHS, over. Pilots, over. Any yeah. of these any of these sectors, CN rail workers, if yeah. they had all stood up, it would have been over. Mm-hmm. But it never works that way because people are more like herd animals than we want to believe. So when you say, I'm not going to comply, what you re- you have to ask yourself, are you willing to accept the consequences? Because there will be consequences. <laughs> Had it not been for the Ingram case, I would have lost everything. Had it yeah. not been yeah. for our friend Gil McGowan and the Alberta Federation of Labor masking or fighting in court to mask children, I would have lost my case because we have activist judges in this country. We have activist judges who say things like, I take judicial notice that right. there's a pandemic because Dina Hinshaw right. says so. Mm-hmm. Screw right. the evidence. As a matter of fact, in Ontario, Adam Skelly had a roster of expert witnesses like you wouldn't believe, ready to blow the entire thing out of the water. You know what the judge said? That judge um, kicked the case down the road on technicalities. Yeah. In Saskatchewan, or pardon me, was it Manitoba? There was a case, 72 expert witnesses lined up. One of them was supposed to be Brian Peckford, who's the last right. signatory of the Charter of Rights of Freedoms. You know what the judge said? I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to go through all of this science. I'm yeah. going to defer to the expert, the CMOH. Mm-hmm. I take judicial notice. There's a pandemic. Case dismissed. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So yep. when you say, I'm not going to comply, you have to accept that it's, I'm not going to impl- comply and I'm going to accept the consequences. I'm going to hold this protest because it's my right and my right does not stop because I might go to jail. I'm going to exercise my right and then I'm going to go to jail and people will see that it shouldn't be that way. At the same time, this is like the the people that say that they're not going to comply are like, they're like, they're holding their finger in a dam Mm -hmm. and you can only hold it so long. The same idea with the parallel society, parallel education, parallel healthcare. That's all great for a short time, but eventually 
if you're not pursuing a solution that deals with the problems, that deals with the disease instead of treats the symptoms, eventually you will be overrun by that administrative state. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. You will not comply and there will come a day where they send the horses into Ottawa and they right. trample old ladies. And whether or not there's a thousand of you or 10,000, they will round you up and put you in jail. So millions of people need to not comply or at least thousands to send a message that we're not going to take this. And you right. have to be pursuing a political solution. I see on this live and on mine, a lot of people are saying, oh, Paul lie-ticians. They all lie. Politicians are all bad. Politicians make our law. They are, don't, don't even call them politicians, call them legislators. There are legislators yeah, right. and we have opportunities to hold them accountable and get them to legislate per, uh, safety nets for us. Because if we don't do that, eventually we will all comply from behind bars or, or whatever, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And we can be free in our jail cell, knowing that we're not complying. That's still a measure of freedom, but the large amount of your freedom is taken away. So why I didn't get into politics, I originally had intended on running as a Wild Rose Independence Party of Alberta candidate in Lakopanoka because WIPA was the only party that seemed to be standing up for the rights of Albertans. And I thought, well, if I could only get a seat at the table, you know, I could change things from within. Wrong. Mm -hmm. you can't. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you can't. Especially if you're if you're just a, a backbencher or a um, uh, uh, not, <coughs> not government. Mm -hmm. You can say things, but the government Government's still going to make law. They are the legislators, not you. Right. So when you have opportunities to do this, like for instance, right now, we have an opportunity to get some policies tabled at the UCP AGM. We have right. some opportunity to get legislation passed that could protect us from this. Yes. You have to take that opportunity because don't comply all you want, but unless we fix the disease, unless we cure the disease, we're not going to not comply our way out of this. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is what I said before. We're more like herd animals than you think. The right. people that disagree with us, they have a loud voice as well. And you're never going to get enough people to stick their necks out because people don't naturally stick their necks out. That's not what we're, that's not what we do until mm -hmm. we're backed into a corner. Hell, I didn't even stick my neck out until I was backed into a corner. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. You mentioned so that's, that's, that's a really important part of this to remember. You can't, you know, you can't just dance around at a protest or a rally not complying and not be pursuing a plausible and probable solution to deal with these things. Mm -hmm. And right. uh, any, anybody that's telling you, anybody that tells anybody not to participate in the democratic process because, oh, it's all just corrupt anyway, they are the problem. Mm -hmm. That is yes. the problem with this country. Yeah. It's a failure to act, a failure to exercise your democratic rights. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you believe in the elections or not, that, that's the best thing we have. The only other thing we have, short of uh, a democracy, is revolution. Mm -hmm. And without mm -hmm. democracy, revolution is nasty, it's ugly, and you don't want to see it. So I suggest we use the best tools we have available right now, and, uh, and that's that. And, you know, I did, I did notice a comment from one of my actually top fans, Anita. <laughs> she said that she was very offended when I said that this was our fault. Another guy that often trashes me as a government agent says that it's offensive that I'm blaming the victims in this. I'm not a victim mm -hmm. and you're not a victim. You out there watching, you're not victims at all. What we're experiencing is the sum of our actions up until this point.
Back in 2008, when the mm -hmm. WF was infiltrate, infiltrating Canadian politics um, through the Paris Climate Accord, what were you doing? You know what I was doing? I was on my boat every free minute I had. I didn't know what a CA was. I didn't know how legislation was passed. I had no idea what the bills that were being passed federally were all about. I didn't care because it didn't affect me. That's exactly And right. that's why I say this is our fault, right. because in a democracy, if you... Have you ever heard the phrase or the, the, that uh, uh, saying, soft times make hard men? Yeah. And hard soft times, times for soft men, hard times, hard yeah. men. That's what we're experiencing. We went through a period mm -hmm. where we didn't have much to worry about. We were very comfortable in this country, uh, in the schoolyard. When someone asked you if you could play with the ball or something, they'd say, oh, it's a free country, isn't it? Yeah. We live under this illusion that we have this freedom that somebody else fought for, and it's always going to be there, and we don't have to worry. That's that's a lie. We have to fight for our yeah. freedom every single day of the year. We have to yeah. we have to exercise our rights. Otherwise, we'll lose them. And that's where we're at. Yeah. And that's why I say that it's it's our fault because we failed in our democratic duty. But that doesn't that's not that shouldn't be something to be offended about or scared about. That should give people hope, because if it was failure of democracy and engagement that got us into this mess, that would mean that the solution is engagement in democracy. So Correct. we can't. And you know what, Jason, I, I, in this province alone, we have the potential to fix all of these problems, including the harm that's being done with the jabs. Mm -hmm. We have the potential to fix these within six months. Yeah. Okay. If we get behind the solutions, because there, there's people that are, that are out there that say the government's evil because they're promoting the jab. Well, I can tell you right now, there are people in the government at very high levels who are disgusted with what they see happening right now. But because of the bureaucracy behind the government, their hands are almost tied. If you're, if you're in the government right now and you do some of the things that some people are advocating for the very next day, the opposition has such a heyday mm -hmm. and drags you through the mud. Your government topples. We've and seen it before. The unions and the We have seen yeah. it before. They will mobilize. They will come out on mass yeah. and you will lose, you will lose your government. Yeah. So, you know, as much as it's disgusting to watch the game being played, it is a game and it has to be played right mm -hmm. if we want to mm -hmm. win. Yeah. yeah, and one suggestion I'm going to make to people is I love this hashtag, I will not comply, but I think that's still part of the problem. You should understand that we will not comply. We mm -hmm. are the group. It's mm -hmm. not a bunch of individuals. We are already a group. You just need to understand that and, and see how big we really are. We're a lot bigger than people see. And uh, we already we have the comply. right and the sovereignty we're fighting for. We own them already. We own them. I love it, man. I love it so much. You guys, whether you know it or not, there will be a statue. It might be bronze. It might be silver. I don't know. Uh, but some people will try and tear it down at some point. Yeah, be mine, I'll be a gnome. Mine will be made out of cork. <laughs> cork. Look, I'm going to come and try and visit you when I head back north again, when I eventually get up there. There's a lot of stuff going on here in Lethbridge in the next couple of days. Hopefully some big announcements coming out soon. Uh, but when I'm heading up there, I'm definitely going to come by, grab one of those burgers, pee in your field like everybody yeah, else awesome. should. That's it. That's yep. what I do. And then head home. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much. I'm well, sure you have a busy day now. You have some more press you're going to do? Well, you, uh, well, gonna... you know what? I have to race home and cook. I'm going to be a half hour late. My yeah. daughter's cooking right now. Yeah. But there is one more thing I want to throw out there. I, I forgot to mention this. The reason why I didn't yes, run as an MLA is because I realized that even if you're in the government, you have to do what the people want. If you don't do what the people want, 
you don't become the government. Mm -hmm. And in this province right now, I don't think people really know what they want or what they need. So the answer to that is education. So instead of running as an MLA, I chose to continue with the Alberta Prosperity Project so that we can continue educating Albertans as to uh, the solution for these issues. And I would encourage any of you who are curious to visit albertaprosperityproject.com and check it out. I'm sure you'll be you'll be happy. Yeah. And uh, you know yeah. what? If yeah. if we continue the educational aspect of this, and we have good people um, working to enter politics to to propose good legislation to protect us, we will win. But it yes. requires yeah. two things, not just one. Yeah. You guys are awesome, and I'm part of the APP now. You guys introduced me on your show when you had me on as a guest. I have now yeah. spoken to Leighton Gray after that. I think it's brilliant, and I'd like to see more places do that. All across Canada, they should be doing that. I also want to remind everybody that a conservative government here in Alberta has not finished a term in like four or five uh, attempts here. Yeah, so we true. will we will yeah. get rid of uh, even a conservative government if they're not doing their job. I'd like to yeah. see that happen across Canada because people like Doug Ford say, I'll listen to you at election time. You should yeah. be listening mm -hmm. to him all the time. That's right. So Alberta, I hope, is setting a good example and a template for that. And you two gentlemen, thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for having us on. Like it's, uh, we, we've been trying to what do this for about a month <laughs> and our it schedule for a reason. And here, yeah. look at this, your announcement well, comes we, out. We so had thank you for holding on the filing until my show. Thank you for that. Absolutely. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My pleasure. All right. Thank, thank you, you both very much. Thank you so much for everybody that's watching and supporting us and uh, supporting Jason too. He's doing an awesome job and uh, yes, I don't know how you. he does that. I wish, I wish I had the time. The, the the capability of actually doing a, a show multiple times a day. So kudos to you. That is absolutely amazing. So thank you. And in all fairness, I should have and to the, do the more. Number yeah, there's just too yeah. many people we need to hear from. There's, so there's, there's too much. Yeah. yeah, simply put that, that way. But thank you both, gentlemen. If you don't mind, stick around. I'm going to do my goodbye. i got a couple of things for you yeah. at the end yeah. here. Just a couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah, thank you both very much. I appreciate that. And we will have to do this again. Uh, there's a couple of comments about... Um, having you back maybe with uh, uh, Leighton about the class action, the other one. Yeah. So we can actually talk about that as well. Yeah. And some yeah. more APP conversation. I think we really need some more time there. Absolutely. I'll be right back with you both. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Well, there I'm you go, watch. folks. Alberta is kicking butt and taking all prisoners, it looks like. So I'm very, very proud of these guys. And did you hear very closely? It was a, just a non-comply, which opened the door. They tried to force a mask onto kids. That opened another door. And then there's a crack in it. They, they discovered that it was not implemented properly. The orders in Alberta, that opened up another door. Got it to review it. The judge agreed. That opened up a big door. So listen, this all happens for a reason. You do have to resist and push back. Not illegal. Don't get violent. Talking about um, the, the right way to do it. If a law is unjust and it shouldn't have happened, we actually, our system allows for that to correct itself. Our legislators may do a rule. Uh, they may create an order. The government may put some uh, executive order down or something like that. The court is where it needs to go after that to test it. This is something we were taught in law school. Uh, the court is where a law could become unjust because it's not proper. So sometimes we have to stand there, open our doors when we're told not to. I titled this one, We're Open we're open we need to not comply next time i love you all very much this is episode or stream two out of four today uh do stick around for a 4 p.m mountain 6 p.m eastern where we're gonna have dr hildebrandt on 
I think it's yeah, that's right. Uh, and then after that, seven to nine p.m., we're going to have a whole bunch of organizers from the Million Person March. All of Alberta's covered, Edmonton, Calgary, and others. And then we also have some uh, East Coast um, coming on as well. So you're going to get some information about the Million Person March. So stick around for that. I thank you all very much. It was a wonderful episode. Alberta is kicking butt. So all of you other provinces, take note. We are happy to share our homework with you. We'll we'll help you too. Love you all, and God bless.